Welcome to episode 78 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 34 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with and were flummoxed by Flying Shark, vexed by Vengeance and enjoyed a coronary, courtesy of Clever and Smart. This week, we continue our look at the games in February 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV screens that month. So, Graham, tell us exactly what we have going on in this episode. In this small-town music festival, with headlining local indie bands, The Three Bends, Insanity Plea, and No One Owns My Dustbin, performances from Syntax, Digital Persuasion, and Derek Eight, as well as local drum and bass legends Smash the Egg, and a live non-stop world record attempt dance mix from DJ Panda of an episode. We grab our footy boots and head into an 8-bit stadium for a slow but strategic kickabout with the fun but option-heavy Match Day 2. Stare with ignominy at the utterly bewildering game design resulting from a seven-year camping trip with the spinny eye. Hump and flump our way around a dirty maze as a dragon cunningly disguised as a troll in the boulder dashy reptonish bone cruncher before picking one of the two tunes on the CD player, choosing one of the two gears and zooming off in our Ferrari El Blocco in the nippy but chunky C64 arcade conversion of the almighty Sega arcade Outrun. If you've got tired of the main stage and have decided to explore the more niche acts in the festival lineup, such as the folk trio The Shenanigans, 80s hair metal band White Spirit, or the unusual Who Snow Patrol tribute band Pinball Blizzard, we also grab our water cannons and begin the long climb to rescue dogs and people from the towering infernos of arcade conversion Firetrap. Explore the insane difficulty spikes of yet another stupidly onerous 8-bit left-to-right run-and-jump nightmare with Freddy Hardest, blatantly disregard all advice to the contrary, and take a boring Burke-flavoured sojourn into Dullesville by going through the trapdoor, before finally grabbing our shin pads, crisps, and extra long socks as we ready ourselves for more football, this time exploring the absenteeism of Gary Lineker's superstar soccer. February has proven to be challenging, a bit like eating a bag of Revels, some chocolatey goodness for sure in there, but somewhere, you know, there's the coffee cream. Waiting, just waiting to ruin your day. Get your onions. Get your onions. <laughs> don't want onions. No onions. <laughs> onions. That's don't a dog. Want... Onions. For God's sake, want... I know I shouldn't have called him that. People they... think I'm a market seller selling onions all the time. Stupid well, dog. They would. Just to say that the way time works is that we've we've had a, a week off, haven't we? Which has been quite nice. A week uh, off, yes. And we have, but that's for you. You listen to this in the future. Our future will be thinking, no, you haven't. I was listening to an episode last week, but that's not how time works or our episodes work, whereas we have actually had a week off. So now I'm speaking to you in the future from the past. That's how it works. Uh-oh, I'm getting a total Excalibur vibe. <laughs> the future has taken root in the present. <laughs> it is done. It is done. <laughs> knights, squires! <laughs> People yeah. in old stuff for knights and squires, whatever they're called. Uh, I don't know, what were they called? Um, squatters. Squatters, yeah, probably. I don't think that's true. I don't either. Anyway, yes, episode 78. Wow, we're going three episodes into this chunky month again, another four-parter. Good Lord. It so is. What's going on? Um, it's a big, big old knitted jumper, this one, isn't it? 
It says it's going to keep you warm through the winter, unlike, <laughs> well, the, uh, unlike, the, energy, unlike the energy cap. <laughs> That's not going to keep anyone warm. Better politics, uh, better politics, me. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, in Liz we, in Liz we trust. No, we don't. Not at all. Did um, you see, by the way, just as an aside, that there's actually there's a Twitter account for Liz Truss, but it's not actually Liz Truss. Liz Truss's real account is, is Trust Liz, at Trust Liz. There's a woman who's called Liz Truss who's getting loads and loads of reposts and all sorts, and she's like, it's not me. I'm not that person. She's just stopped taking to it now. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, I am that person. She's not. Well, she, she is that person. She's Liz Truss. She is, she is Liz Truss. She's not, she's just not the Prime Minister, which is kind of hilarious. Kind of hilarious. <laughs> it is kind of hilarious. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Yeah. Um, right, should we get into this? I think we should. We should get, we've got loads. Well, we've got eight games, TV. Go, Flash, go. All right, let's get into our first one. And a bookend, it's a bookend month, because month, week, it's a bookend week. And the bookend this week is football. So let's all go football crazy this episode because it's the bookend. Ah, hang on a minute, pause, I've got a spider in the room. <laughs> Do I actually just capture it and throw it away? Well, I've got nothing to capture it with right now. And Get I a glass, to... an empty glass. Don't kill spiders, mate. That's, that's... I'm just going to grab I... it. Hang on a minute. This is great podcasting. No, hang on, I'll be back in a minute. It's only a little one. Here we see the native Adrian, who is terribly afraid of a spider. It's over there somewhere. It's only a spider. It is. It's only a little one as well, but it's just annoying me crawling amongst all my controllers and shit. Anyway, right. Where was I? Uh, that <laughs> break was brought to you by Spider Invasion. Obviously, if you know, two out Australian listeners, if they saw what I just got freaked out at, um, they'd be like, that's not a spider. Yeah, they would actually, because the be- spiders, they're... they're the size of houses. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Heard. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like phase four. But with spiders over there. <laughs> that's, that's phase three. <laughs> phase four was just ants. That was all ants. <laughs> yeah, phase three was the spiders. Phase two was pigeons for some reason. <laughs> and phase one was uh, pit hamsters. Yes, yes. And don't ever mess with the hamsters. Night the lepers. It is football week. <laughs> um, and to celebrate football week, we have our first game. And our first game is a 90% sizzler. A sizzler, I tell you. It is match day two. Match day two. It's football. It's 8.95. It's from Ocean. It's match day two. So, yeah. So, aside from international soccer, I don't think we've been really enamoured with any of the other attempts to bring the beautiful game to the C64. But will this sizzling sequel to the forgotten match day change all that? Let's don our sheepskin jacket, grow our hair and moustaches, and dive on in to find out in 80s style. This is from Ocean. As I said, it's a sequel to the original match day, which had also been ported from the original Spectrum version to the C64 and was absolutely awful. Did you look at the original match day at all? in preparation for this i'd never seen unfortunately, it unfortunately i did good lord what was that i wish i hadn't no i don't remember that original version at all i don't remember ever ca- catching eyes on it but it's like it's like they just took the sprite from um daily thompson or hypersports something didn't they just had them running around at a, 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 what looked like a ball chasing a ball something, something went badly wrong awful awful like world cup carnival awful <laughs> jimmy hayes big Anyway, so it's a low bar to clear here to be better than its predecessor. So the original Spectrum and Amstrad versions of this were designed by the pairing of Mr. John Rittman and Bernie Drummond of Head Over Heels and Batman fame. And the C64 version was ported by John Darnell, who had previously worked on games such as Star War- Star Paws, sorry, and Kane. Music on this version is by Jonathan Dunn, and the title screen is by Mr. Simon Butler. And the game loads up, you get a decent piece of music that sets the tone, and there's a wealth of options to choose from, but in a very awkward manner. This is one of the more awkward 
<laughs> choosing of options I've, I've come across. It is a bit of an awkward it finger is. prod, but button prodder. It is. The first thing you were asked if you want to play single player, two player, or no joysticks at all. So keys for all, I guess. But so, the, the, you know, duh, 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 they're in a list. One, two, three. Instead of uh, having an up and down and enter or fire to select, any key, any direction, anything moves the option down and the Commodore key selects the option. It's a, it's a, this method of menu navigation continues through all the menus and it makes them much harder to navigate than they need to be. Allow me to go up in your menu. <laughs> it's not, I'm not asking much. If I go down a couple, I may want to go up to the one above. I shouldn't have to cycle all the way around using up. It just makes it no sense. Maybe in the instructions it says um, press the Commodore key not once, not twice, but thrice. <laughs> to get straight into a game, yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> what? It's just stupid. I'm press the fire button, but the fire button moves you down. Everything moves you down. And then until you get to the bottom, then you loop to the top. Anyway, strange, uh, strange menu selection methods aside, after selecting your method of play, which you can actually change in game as well, so it seems a pointless arbitrary um, <laughs> option as well. You can actually change that. When you get into it, it's like it doesn't lock you into that type of game. You you know, no matter. Uh, you get six more options. So these options are you can play a one-player game, a two-player game, a twin-player game, so a co-op game. You can do a cup, you can do a league, and there are options. There are tons of options in this. So before we get to the game, let's take a look at these options because the game offers quite a lot. So under the title Match Day Options, you, yes, you, can alter the sound from loud or quiet effects or music in game. You can pick the time of the halves from 5, 10, or 15 minutes. You can change the kickometer, but I, I'll explain what that is when we get to the gameplay. Uh, you can go from forward kicks, hard kicks, kick two, kick three, or all kicks. Okay, <laughs> that's what you can do. There's your options. Uh, there's no explanation of what any of that means at this point. So um, Sounds like the instructions for Roadhouse. <laughs> kick, kick, and hard kick. All the kicks. Uh, you can opt to watch the computer-only games in the cup or league mode. So if you're playing a couple, you can you know just watch the them going on if you want to do that, or just see them. You know, see the score at the end. You can change the CPU skill from low to medium to high, and you can set the keeper to be controlled by either the computer or the player. Back in the options, so that's just in the match day options bit. So that's a sub options menu. Back in the options menu, you can redefine the keys for player one and, and player two. You can change all the team names. So have at it. You can change, call them what you want. You can alter the tactics from playing attacking or defensive, but you can do that in game as well. So again, it seems a bit pointless right out here. You can even alter the color scheme. So if you want a pale blue team facing off against a team in bright green on a purple pitch, have at it. Do it. Go for it. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you could do why it. Why wouldn't you? Well, why wouldn't you do that? That's uh, well, the question. Uh, yeah, the question is why wouldn't you? Anyway, yeah. Anyway, back to the main game and the options for play. All options lead to a game of football, obviously, but one player is just a one-off against the computer, two player is you against another player, another another human opponent, but twin player sees you playing on the same side as each other against the computer, so that's quite nice. You, be, you both control a player, and you can team up and go, go against the AI. It's quite nice. The cup and the league options start either a cup, uh, where you have to make it through the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the final, Alternatively, the league sees a full league play out between the eight teams available. Um, there's some clever touches in this as well, in that when you start a cup, you have the option to change who is playing in any game. So you can still do one player, two player, or co-op for any game that is played. So you can just you can play in every single one if you want. And it's the same for the league as well. Uh, there's an option to see the cup table, so score so far and who's in which round, what have you, who is playing who. And in the league, you can see the league table at any time. You can also start a new league or cup if things have gone wrong for you and you can start an old one. So that's quite good. To do this, you use a code. Every time a game is played and you go back to the league or cup mode, there's a code um, across the bottom of the screen. So write down that code. If you, so it's essentially your save code. So if you, to start an old one, you enter that code on the screen and you uh, it will start the cup from that point or the league with all scores and results intact. Very nice. Very clever. I like that. That's a nice touch. It's a long code, but you know, it's a code. So just write it down. Once you've chosen what to do, you get to the game itself. 
Okay. So the game is presented in standard football view, so computer football view, from the side of the pitch. So with the scrolling camera to the left and right as the action moves in that direction. So think international soccer. It's that view. Each team consists of seven players, three attackers, three defenders, and one goalkeeper. And they'll come trotting out from the tunnel when it starts off. Once set up, pressing fire sets the game in motion. And if you have kickoff, you can then press fire with the direction to start, or the computer will if they have it. So kickoff, basically. You don't kick off somewhere, you can just boot it wherever. And it's right here. So as the game starts, you need to get used to the kickometer. So what is the kickometer, I, I hear you ask? At the top of the screen, there's a bar, and this bar is constantly moving from sort of left to right and back again, and actually going back on itself. So it starts at, so imagine it's slightly to the left, there's a, there's a block, there's a bar, and it moves fully up to, a, like, in three sections, all the way up to one side, comes back down again, and then goes off to the left a little bit. And what that does is a couple of back squares, and it goes back to the to the left. If you've um, Although, just saying that, this is dependent on the choice you made back in the options, way back in the options. So where we're staying, kick, kick one, kick two, that will lock it in. But if you kick out for the sake of covering everything, I'll assume you just choose all kicks, because that's the best thing you want to do. And uh, this represents the power and direction of the kick you will do when you press the fire button. The higher the bar, the further and higher the pass. If it goes to the black, you'll do a back heel. So you can back heel on this, you can do all those kind of things. This bar is replicated over the head of the player you are controlling. So it's easy to see um, as you're running around the pitch, the player you're controlling has got that little kickometer going up and down. So you can kind of, you don't need to you know check on, on the UI at the top. Because UI is fairly basic. It's just, you know, the score and stuff and time left and the kickometer going up and down. Now, if you hold the fire button down as the ball is traveling to you, the bar above your head, player's head, will lock. And when you control the ball, you'll do a low pass at that speed immediately upon gaining control in the direction you are moving or you are facing or you are pressing. So that's quite handy. So if you want to do an immediate pass, so if someone passes to you and you want to pass it straight away at a certain pace, you can hold. You can wait for the kickometer to get there before the ball arrives, hold the fire button, press the direction you want, boom, pass straight away. That's quite nice. You can also jump uh, if the ball is in the air near you by pressing the fire button and this allows you to head the ball and get in the way of long passes and stuff like that and, and ties in with the the diamond deflection system tm that the game employs fancy i know fancy that what this means is that the direction the ball bounces off you is modeled accurately so it's possible to do glancing headers and the like as well as jump in the air so it's not all eight directions if you get a little glancing touch on the ball it'll fly off it'll change its it'll change its angle slightly so it's, that's, that's actually quite nice there's some nice physics here so you know you can head the ball you can uh, you can hold the fire uh, sorry hold the fire button volley it into the net if you're good enough to get a crossover jump up in the air meet you on the volley and boot it you know and it'll fly into the net if you're good enough it's all possible it's quite good the games play out over the time you're allotted simulate they simulate a full 90 minutes and it just has everything you expect from a game of football proper rules there's no offsides or anything so that's all out the window but there's corners throw-ins goal kicks it's all present and correct everything you'd expect the visuals for the game they're a bit squished the players being a little squashed in stature they're a bit they look a bit like ramban i thought it's like a, watching a load of Ram Man running around the pitch. Uh, but it's okay. You know, they, they do the job. They serve the purpose. The animations are adequate. They're just running around. It's just, you know, players at angles and stuff running about, and that's fine. There's a bit of flickering to the sprites at times. So I think there's some issues with the multiplexer at points because sometimes they flicker in and out. I think, and, uh, and sometimes the layering of the sprites is off. So if you've got one that should be uh, behind the other, so the higher up the pitch should be behind it. Sometimes they're in front, and that can be a bit disorientating. So that does that. But generally, the visuals are they're okay. They, they do their job. They display a game of football. The main issue that a lot of people have with the game, though, uh, is the speed and responsiveness. Is a tad slow. It's a bit on the slow side, and it really can't be argued against. And what that does, it plays kind of yeah, displays the responsiveness of pressing the fire button to pass. Because I think that the slowness is tied into the update. So I think it's not 
quite as fast as you kind of want it to be to up to to pass sometimes sometimes i just find it just wasn't registering or registers too late and you end up doing a back heel rather than a short pass and that can be quite annoying but that said i thought this play does play actually a decent game of football yeah it's not that fast paced but there is actually a real pleasure in picking the ball up working upfield and getting a shot off or even better scoring a goal there's a sense of passing there's a sense of you can set some moves up it does feel like there's a bit of a game of football going on rather than just a random happenstance we've seen in a lot of other games things like World Cup Carnival and that five-a-side soccer and things like that where it's just the ball goes where it wants to go and the players are all over the shop and it's just a bit crap and rubbish this feels like there's some there's some brains behind it and the AI is not too bad passes will go where you want them to the, the game usually picks the right player for you to control whether it's near the near the near the ball and so there's 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 um there's a good sense of a game of footy here. Um, it's possible to work it down the wing, get a cross in, and go for the header. And it feels like a much more accurate representation of the game than any you know. International soccer is great, but international soccer is not really good representation of football. You could run down the field just heading it, which is stupid. But you know the game's enjoyable. So I think this is the best representation of the game of anything we've played so far. The wealth of options on display, the code-based leagues and cups, the ability to play in co-op. It's I thought this is a really good football game despite the speed at which it runs because that speed you know actually allows you to plan and prepare what you intend to do it if you want to get used to it i'm not saying it's not fast it's not slow it is but once you get used to it and you get into the rhythm of the game it's it i was i was playing this for quite a while to launch a ball forward get your player to nod it in a slight direction past their weight in defender and pick it up with one of your attackers to continue onwards yeah it works well so despite my initial misgivings at the speed once it when it started up once i got used to that and the way the kickometer worked which can be locked into just one type of kick if that's how you want to play it as i said kick three kick two all kicks whatever i had some decent games of football on this and scoring a goal felt quite quite enjoyable quite the triumph i was like yeah this is all right difficulty levels as well you can play against low medium and hard and depending on how good you get um and i can see why zap gave this the score they did you know i imagine in their offices this was there's probably football fans there and they're probably enjoyed this especially in twin mode where this game does actually come alive and i remember playing this a lot on the amstrad and we played a lot of it in co-op and it is really enjoyable in co-op mode one of the very first sort of co-op against the ai games i've sort of ever known but i didn't really play it on the c64 much back then but going back to this it may not be as good either visually or in the sense of speed as that amstrad version um i still enjoyed my time with it i thought this was a decent game of footy um and so yeah i was i was, I was quite happy with this good decent game if just a little slow, but I imagine your mileage may vary as in how much you like football, which I think I'll ask you now. What did you think of it? I think that it's a game that's trying to rise to the challenge. At last, at last, a game rises to the challenge of the mighty international soccer. Someone's got to take it on. It can't just be that one. And like, I mean, there are so many options for this. It's kind of hard not to like it if you're a football fan, isn't it? Really? Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, there's not much you can't control in this game. It's, it's, it's nothing if not option friendly. I mean, I thought some of the other superstar type games had options, but this one is like option crazy. And the menu system's quite nice and the UI is quite nice. So for the more casual player, I think those, you know, literally me who doesn't really like football and is not really into football games. So casual player slash player that would, but I don't think those kind of people like me would have this if that was the case, but those options are kind of more of a hindrance, but you can just die straight in the old three Commodore key presses and you're in the game. And then what you're going to find is, is, is a game that is slow. And that's the compromise that they've had to reach for the extensive kicking controls and all the strategic part of the game. Now, I agree with you, actually. Now, I don't. I didn't have to say uh, right from the get-go, I, this is never going to be my forte or cup of tea in the slightest. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to criticise this game for being slow because it is obviously it is slow, but that's not really the point of this. It's a, it, That slowness does give you that time to think about what you're doing a bit. And this isn't the kind of 
that kind of you know that kind of sort of kick and run around football game. And in all fairness, the, the only one that's really worked in that instance is international soccer. All the others that have tried to do any of this stuff have just haven't worked. So this one is a bit slower, granted, but it does allow you a lot of control and a lot of flexibility to play a game of football in all sorts of different ways. There's so much replayability in this game; it's ridiculous. So that said, football games like this don't appeal to me at all. That's because I'm not into football and so this doesn't really interest me that much. But I am an advocate, as we've said many times when we've looked at sports games, if they are adhering to the complexities of the simulation they're trying to be, so if they're adhering to the rules of that sport, then that is to be applauded. And this one definitely does that. I mean, there's no question about that. And I think that's that's a particularly good thing about this, that there is so much method of play around it and so much to do and so much to change and so many options that I think that the small price you pay in terms of the compromise of speed is it, it won't bother you if you're really into that sort of stuff you're going to dig this and clearly you're, you're evidence of that mm-hmm. so the, these games don't you know they don't uh, raise the fig leaf in my pants shall we say particularly <laughs> Um, or the fig leaf that is my pants, actually, right now. But that's, uh, that's a separate conversation. So glad your camera is just on the top half. So glad. <laughs> I don't see your fig I'm leaf. Just, I'm just going to move the camera. Hey! hey. Um, <laughs> so these games don't, don't do much for me. And really, they didn't until they got to the Amiga. And even then, really, because they, they became a little bit more insta-play and less, you know, so all of the kind of the, 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 the sensible games, sensible soccer games and stuff like that. No, I know they apply leagues and all that sort of stuff like that. But at the same time, they didn't really get to me and I didn't enjoy them until I could sort of do that kind of game. However, what we have here is a very well-made and competent game, albeit maybe a bit slow. I thought the graphics did work. Like you said, they are a bit squat, but so what? Yeah. I'd rather have squat. I think there's seven players aside in this as well, isn't there? It's yes, seven, well, yeah, is, yeah. Which is pretty impressive, all said and done. So I think there's a really good sense of a football game in here. I think the, the, what it captures for me was the atmosphere, which is often really hard to capture in a game like this. I thought it captured it pretty good. Um, you know, the crowd sounds and all that. It actually had a bit of that. And that it takes a bit of time to do that. Well, I think that's that's not to be, that's no bad thing. It isn't for me, this. I totally get that. But I can imagine the football fraternity and the, the people who like, was craving for a football game at this time, and even now, this is pretty damn good. And they would definitely dig it. The music was odd little bit odd but uh, it kind of strangely worked i suppose and so i say but it, it's not it was never going to be my thing or anything i got along with but i totally get that it's a it's probably the best football game i've seen since international soccer and that's not bad crown that's not a bad thing at all is it it's about time really it is, i was impressed yeah. with it albeit it's just not my thing at all not my thing at all no that's i mean that's completely fair enough I, I get it i didn't think it would be but if you take a step back and appreciate it for yeah absolutely what it yeah. is yeah um, no, definitely. Yeah, I thought I thought it was all right. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it, mm. and I had some good games of football with it. Not a lot. Yeah, of- yeah. I could see how you would. I could see you'd really get into that. Not you personally, but but, but you. Yes, you personally, but also yeah. People who weren't. I can imagine. You know, this is really the precursor to the kind of FIFA type idea, I suppose. Really now. Yeah. You know, it's 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 you know where they've got all that the logic and the processing power to have all that AI based logic and all of that stuff in it. But this is you now on a sixty four K machine. Pretty damn impressive. All said and done. Yeah. I agree completely. Not going to argue against that. Good game. Um, and enjoyed it. Good game. Like, like I said, <laughs> good game. Well, we'll we speak about him later on. But um, yeah, like I said, I, I used to play this a lot on the Amstrad. And, and I remember that I had a quick look at that on, on YouTube and it brought back a lot of memories. Um, so, but it was just, it's just a good, good footy game. And that twin, twin mode, the, tw- the co-op mode, it, it was a real winner, a real winner, a real butte. <laughs> a peace resistance. You know what these are for, double O, huh? It's a butte. A real winner. Your gadget's double O. Eh? A butte. <laughs> a butte. A, a real, real winner. winner. Absolutely. You got a bug in your hair? <laughs> Absolutely. Seriously, though. I mean, this game has a gaggle of gimmicks. <laughs> now, this is very interesting. Inside this buckle is a gang of gimmicks. A mighty handy item. <laughs> 
and so on. And Just so pop on. the little what's it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame that this game dumped right, but you can't have everything. Your pen looks ordinary and yet specially built. Another weapon. It won't write words, but you can't have everything. I like the way you pay attention. <laughs> anyway, there People you go. Have no idea what we're talking about. I <laughs> no, might, and if I you might do... throw in a little a sound bite just so you get the idea of that. <laughs> and if you we'll do, see. well done. You've wasted your well life. Well done, you. <laughs> <laughs> just like we have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, there we go. That's match day two. Way better than match day. If you really want a good laugh, just go, go and dig, dig out the original match day on the C64 because it is dire awful he didn't have me laughing i was just you know when you have that when you sort of freeze a bit like that moment in jurassic park when they see the dinosaurs for the first time and that was kind of i was i was looking at it and not in a good way (laughs) it's not a good way no it was really bad right let's move on let's get out of our sheeps in coat and let's move on into our next one Graham, you can tell us all about send him the eye. The eye. Eye. Do you look into the eye? No. <laughs> the stupid, stupid thing. Why did I get this one? <laughs> well, Why did what, I get this I stupid, stupid thing? Right. I, this is I, and it was 9.95, and I didn't actually make a note of who produced it, but does it matter, really? The packaging was amazing on it. I have to say, after doing the research, great box, great box this. On the back of the box, though, the description's a bit vague, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. What's it say? It says, I, and this is, you know, you'll get the joke because it's E-Y-E, but not the letter I, so just go with that. This came from Prism, by the way. Prism. Prism. Prism, yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably, I think two people were in Prism when they made it, but never mind. <laughs> I can show you something, not just classically simple, but simply classic in my own words. There's a lot of I puns in this, so just prepare yourself. <sighs> I was originally conceived at an American summer school by three rather eccentric characters. Kerry Kevill, an Australian teacher, Irish Luchring, a German fashion student, and Billy Barry, <laughs> an Anglo-Irish ex-jockey. This sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's no, it's really not. Oh, I'm Billy Seven Barry. Years, oh. <laughs> Billy Barry, Irish Luft, Luchring, and uh, Kevy, Kev, I can't even say Kerry Kevill. Oh. Um, I don't want, you know, I'm sure there's a reason why they were out there camping with, uh, anyway. To create, to create eye. Anyway, seven years and seven months later, which was a hell of a long camping trip for all of them, I'm guessing. Bloody hell. <laughs> um, upon the island of Crete, in the midst of olives, watermelons, and much burning of midnight oil. I'm sensing something else is burning with that midnight oil. But <laughs> um, I became a completed project. The perfect game. This is honest to God on the back of the box. And so it is. I needs neither cash to count dice to roll, nor score to keep. It has none of those contemporary game requirements involving money and general knowledge. Can I just ask, is this written by Treyguard? That sounds like a Treyguard line. I don't know who wrote this nonsense. I think it could have been written by uh, Billy Barry. Hello, Billy Barry. You need neither money nor general knowledge for this. Um, I I knows no language or culture barriers and can even be played the world over from young child to professor. I is a superior game in the truest sense with dazzlingly beautiful and ingenious spirals that rotate fiendishly. When it comes to being original and exciting, the eyes have it. <laughs> how do how is rotating fiendish? Uh, <laughs> let's just it's a fiendish rotation. So 
<laughs> this is actually a board game, obviously. That and that is the just I'm not sure if that's the description of the board game. That's for the box, I think. Yeah. The board game is essentially so I it's closely based on the board game of the same name. The game is played with two to four players on a board with differently coloured squares. Each player has playing stones of one colour, and the goal is to get a certain amount of their own stones on the corresponding fields. This is the board game. The spin on this concept is that the board is placed on two rotatable spirals, which change the square distribution on the field when used. Each during each turn. A player has a different amount of moves available, changing depending on the current match situation, each move consisting of moving a square or turning a spiral. The computer version also allows some rule modifications in comparison to the original game, and all components can be replaced by the AI. Can they? Yeah, um, I never found out how to do that. <laughs> no, but do you know what? Because this game is is impossible to, to figure out. <laughs> yes. If you look into the research I've done on this, um, not only is this game version of it, the Commodore 64 version, impossible to figure out, but the original board game was. There's a whole raft of people in a forum going, does anyone please, so someone tell me what the hell this game is? <laughs> what are you supposed to do? The only three people that knew how to do it was Billy, Kerry, and Bloody Iris. <laughs> so I've, what is this? What is this horror, this game? This would be a complex board game, even with instructions. But the fact that it just comes up with this colour screen and these dots. So the 64 version is re- a really weird thing. It's a really weird thing. So it starts and you get a, a colour a color circle thing, yep. spiral, with various coloured squares. You can choose the number of players between two to four. Now, I couldn't find a way of choosing one. There isn't. Um, I don't, and I, I never succeeded that. So, but at least I was always going to win. That's what I thought. Um <laughs> But anyway, um, did you? Did you though? I'm not exactly sure what the challenge of this game is meant to be. <laughs> I just moved the coloured dots onto the right coloured blocks, and I won. It just said, "Well done, you've won." I'm like, I, I just moved the colours onto the blocks. I did nothing happened. I just moved. I went bloop, 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 bloop. Five blocks, I think there was, and I moved them. It went, "Way, you've won." It's like that can't be it. Surely <laughs> the spiral things have got to turn, or something's got to happen. Nothing happened. That was it. I did it twice. I'm like, anyway. So, and I thought, well. Maybe I'm maybe that I won because the two player didn't do something, but I moved. I was when it was two player. I moved the red blocks to the red blobs, and it's like a little red dot that you move. Move the red one to the red ones. Move the blue one to the blue ones, and the blue one said blue wins. I'm like, <laughs> why did blue win? I don't get it. I don't get what I was supposed to do. There was no instructions that I could find. The back of the boxes, as I've read, and apparently this is a deli- is a very difficult, vague game. It's technically, I suppose, I was always going to win this. I just don't know what the original board game version was other than the creation of some kind of toad-licking camping trip. <laughs> um, and it kind of shows, doesn't it? If you look at this game, this is the product of people who were definitely uh, taken a heroic dose of mushrooms. There's no doubt about that. Let's have a, let's create a game where you don't have any dice, you don't have any money, you don't have any... Wow, is that sheep got horns? Or is that, what is that? Is that a space cow? <laughs> These people were off their tits on mushrooms or something when they made this it's clear and the c64 game is a clear representation of that it just shows you this spirally color thing and you move dots around there seems to be nothing more compelling than that apparently this is meant to be a, as a compelling puzzle strategy game there's some type of rubik thing i'm no. like what what rubik's cube is a cube that you move around and eventually you'll just throw it against the wall because that's what happens with me with rubik's cube don't know about you yeah 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 this is just a load of really really colors on a spiral thing with dots uh, and I don't know if they were meant to move or rotate. They didn't for me, but they may have for you. I didn't really get on with this. I, I didn't get on with it because I didn't know what the hell I was doing or what it was. And I couldn't find any instructions that made any sense whatsoever. Nope. Just in the end, I thought, I'm going to go and play Cop It. I know how to play Cop It. Just chase people around, multicolored things. You know, press the little dinky dinky thing in the middle. The dice pops over. You move around, around the circle. I like that. Play Frustration even. Never play this ever again. Never, <laughs> never put this in your eye. It's like, <laughs> it's actually like getting a metal, a metal splinter in your eye. It's horrific and painful and devastating you don't want that to happen so don't do that do you like did you get on with it no no <laughs> i tried to get my head around this but it, there's nothing in it that made any sense to me 
I'd, I'd never seen the game this was based on, despite it being claimed to be the greatest game ever. <laughs> or words That's that Iris, Iris Billy and what's the name claim that? Yeah, Billy Bailey or whatever his name is. What was his name? Billy what? Billy Bobby? Bobby Billy? <laughs> Billy Billy Barry. Billy Barry. <laughs> not, Billy Barry, Kerry Kevill. Not Billy Bailey. He's Bill Bailey, isn't he? The presentation's very bare bones. This a simple board layout, some colours and the players on the right. There were some questions, weren't there, to start with? It asked you a couple of questions when the game starts. Because do, do you want to lock the things in with this something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, uh, don't know. Do I? No idea. Don't know. Is that <laughs> is that relevant? Will that help? Or not? Will it make it harder or easier? How many? How, it said how many turns before spiral? I'm like, yeah. It says I don't know. Not two hundred fifty five. I thought if I put no, it would just constant, constantly spin. <laughs> I bet it didn't, though. Uh, probably didn't. So I don't know what they were on about. It's a hard one to judge. It's, it's, without instructions to understand it, as a complete loss as what to do. And having never seen the original this is based on, or played it, or heard of it, <laughs> I've never even heard of this. Um, I was just left... It's not on Lemon 64, this either. No, this I, was, I was left with jabbing at colours and placing some other colours down in random places. Whatever it is, it didn't seem particularly enticing, and I walked away from this rather quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I can only assume, I don't know. I just didn't understand what the hell this was supposed to be. I, I mean, I'm just turning stuff, I was placing stuff down, but every time I tried to put, put a stone down on a on a block at some, some point, it would just go, uh, and then <laughs> another on a random one, it would go, yeah. Yeah, that was all, yeah, it was like, just go for it, yeah. But other times, I'm trying to move on, it's like, uh, I was like, what? Why is that wrong? You'll never figure it out, and you'll never want to. No, no. No, no, so no. finger in the eye. That don't don't give them the eye. <laughs> no, no, don't give them the finger, not the eye. <laughs> yeah, this is a bad. This is a, a weird, bad version of a bad. <laughs> interesting someone thought this was god knows how this managed to get through quality control and everyone without anyone going what is this this is what happened if you camp for seven years in crete this is what the result is you get you come out with this kind of crazy then stop camping in crete if you're going to do that especially for that long wait your name's billy barry that's what you invented i yes i did ah sorry (laughs) oh my eye (laughs) take that billy barry (laughs) ow my eye whirls it whirls so bad (laughs) i've said it to zero it'll constantly twirl Whirling with colours. Colours, colours, colours. Your eyes are going to forever whirl now. <laughs> God, this was awful. <laughs> yep. uh, let's move on. That was I. I. Don't play it. Don't. Don't bother. And next up, another full price. These are all full price, nine ninety five. It's fifty six percent. This is Bone Cruncher. We looked at the crap boat for this the other week with the crap, did. crap dragon. That's not a dragon. The um, Kraken. The Kraken. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, what's this all about? More BBC <laughs> shenanigans turn up on the C64, courtesy of superior software in the shape of Bone Where? Cruncher. <laughs> Why do you always get these? I don't know. I don't even know what they're going to be until they turn up. And then suddenly I, turn, I, I boot it up and I'm like, ah, oh, it's another one. But seriously, just how many ways can you deviate on the Boulder Dash Repton template and not get seriously jaded with it? I laughed out loud when I saw it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, anyway, this was created by Andreas Chemnitz. It's got music by Michael Winterberg. And it's got special effects by David Hoskins. Some will say... Special effects. From Hoskins Effects Limited. <laughs> Some will say special effects, and I will say, <laughs> I'll say no. 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 <laughs> anyway, we're in Repton Town again, and in this game, you play the role of the dragon Bono. <laughs> we said when we looked at the crap, this is not a dragon. Just calling something a dragon does not make it a dragon. It's a goblin, a troll at best, but dragon, no. uh, you know, majestic winged beast that breathes fire. Nope. Nope, it's not. No, that ain't no dragon. It's not, no. So, as Bono... Dan is looking after you too. You make a living by selling soap with the help of your friend Fozzie. 
You create this soap by collecting skeletons from the 22 mazes that you must navigate. These mazes are made up of earth, which you can tunnel through. You know, you get the picture. Skeletons, which you must collect. Keys, which open the locked doors that buy your path. Bags that convert five skeletons to soap. Goblins that hunt Bono down. Fozzy, who wanders around aimlessly. Glutes, which are effectively boulders, for want of a better description. Drains, which will kill you. Um, and spiders, which will also kill you. And there are some stairs, which look like bookcases to me, which I thought they were at first, which you use to go and give the soap to the giant bathing creatures around the mazes. Yeah, yeah definitely absolutely definitely this this episode 78 has been brought to you by the letters c a n n a b i s and there's bags of weed have been consumed with this bloody lot glukes man and there's a there's bathing bathing giants and you've got to give them soap you need to give the dragon arms and legs but no wings and you're a dragon but you look like a goblin uh, anyway, if all this sounds strange, because it is. Like any Boulder Dash style game, <laughs> you can push the glukes if they have an empty square next to them because they're boulders, and if they fall on you, they will kill you. You have five lives, and if you lose them all, it's game over. Uh, but the game does have a password system allowing you to skip to the latest maze. You've got to, so that's a good thing. So I've asked for them in previous games, and that is a good thing. The main game takes place in a four-way scrolling window, taking up the top two-thirds of the screen, and the bottom third is your UI. On this, we have the number of lives, the status of Fozzy, I think, and how long he has left on the level, because he can only last a certain amount of time. If he starts the level locked up and you've got to open him up, he just goes wandering about. The number of skeletons you have collected, the number of keys you've collected, there's a directional arrow, but more on that later. And then there's your score, the level, the level number, the level number you're on, the number of soap that are carried, and the number of skeletons required to make the soap. Yep, it sees you collecting skeletons. There are 25 on each level to collect. If you collect them all, you proceed to the next one. But the way is puzzle-filled, and this is strangely structured due to the way it uses wind, but uh, read gravity, to change the properties of the level. So this is where this is the interesting part of the game, and I'll give it this. If you collect five skeletons, there'll be some stairs, as I said, that head up. If you go up those stairs, basically you go up and press fire, then and, and then the stairs are facing, say they're facing to the top of the screen, so they're facing upwards to the top of the screen. What happens is you'll get an animation, it'll cut to... Bono looking out of a window at a, a weird giant in the sea washing themselves because you've given them the soap. And that's what happens. So then once it once you press fire button, you go back into the maze. In the UI at the bottom, next to the directional arrow, a countdown will start. When this hits zero, the arrow will change the direction of the stairs you went up, and then all the glukes will fall in that direction, thus opening up new ways onwards or stranding you in a space if you, you cannot get out of if you've not got yourself ready for where the glukes going to fall. So essentially the glukes, so if the, the arrow is pointing to the left, they'll all they'll go to the left until they hit something so, so that way but if the arrow is pointing down it's like they're falling if it's up they'll go up so they'll go up there and, and so that's how you can kind of move them out of the way there'll be loads of them in blocking your way but you, you find the skeletons you see the giant outside the direction changes they all move out of the way and you can progress onwards and that's how you sort of progress through this game so this means that the game is more about you figuring out where to proceed and where to get to as the direction of the gravity is about to change. And once it does, proceeding to the next section, finding the skeletons in that section and changing the gravity again, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that's essentially what you've got to do here. The graphics are BBC-like. There's chunky scrolling, very chunky scrolling. That's whatever, you, you know, that's what it is. And everything's based on a grid system. You've seen this. We've talked about these games, you know, realms, all this kind of stuff. The music's okay in a way that plays throughout. It doesn't annoy too much. It's not terrible. It's okay. The gameplay's pretty simple in the way that, same way that Reptile was or any of these other games we played in this style are. But the use of gravity to affect the nature of the maze, is, it's, it's quite an interesting angle. It's quite nice. We saw that one, what was that one we played last time? The one where you had, to, you had two different things and you had the different things you could move through from different angles. You were two oh, shields. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, you were yeah, two shields. So they, they do, these games do throw in a different sort of mechanic into each of them and that does help them make them a little bit more interesting 
So, and it, it leads to some tricky puzzles as you get deeper into the game. The outside image of the monsters washing is just bizarre, or are bizarre, sorry. And I'm not sure what the relationship is between seeing these and the wind changing in the maze to alter everything, or gravity, whatever you want to call it. So I don't, I didn't quite see the connection, you know, whether the, the giants are doing it or something. It's a bit bizarre. It just, just changed. It took me a while to figure out what exactly was going on. But once you get your head around what, why this is happening, what's going on, the challenge then becomes figuring out where to be in order to proceed when everything changes. And that's what you've got to do. Because if the bold, you know, the glutes change, and they fall on you then you lose a life so on and so on there's some nice ideas here and if you've not had your fill of these style of grid-based maze games you, you'll probably enjoy it but you'll need to like these kind of games to really get anything from it especially if like as you, you know, it comes on the hot heels of realms repton what, what was it because it was the challenge you had to, it was the challenge you could send away for your certificate wasn't it yeah, whatever it was oh was it zor zor that was the other one yeah all these kind of things you know all the others we seem to play there's just loads of them still it's a better example of this kind of these, these kind of games it's because of that puzzly element and the, the weirdness to it there's a slight you know strangeness to it there's a bizarreness to this bathing dragons and stuff and skeletons and grids and weirdness and glorps and gloops or whatever so check it out really if you like it it's it's still not a bloody dragon though you know i'm not having that it's just stupid call it what it is he's just a goblin why is he not a goblin feeding the you know giving the giant stuff don't know it's not terrible this it's just another one of those with a with a, a, a different mechanic based upon it so there you go that's what i thought what about you yeah another repton clone in it yes falls into adrian's lap i've put <laughs> Um, <laughs> graphics weird graphics are weird that horrible BBC weirdness that they are bitty and scrolly is jerky and all the things I don't like odd combination of resolutions and colours that aren't very friendly to the eye the speech was interesting weird speech in that one yeah. did, you, did you hear the speech it's time to play Bone Cruncher <laughs> no, I, um, I put I put some of the samples of that in the you know the soundtrack for this, so you get a believe what that was like. It doesn't make the game any better. I have to say, I'm baffled as to why there's so many of these bloody things appearing. I mean, Boulder Dash is out there in various formats, so that kind of set the benchmark for this, really. And that's about as good a game of this type as you're ever going to get. If you're not going to make a game as good as that, and I ad- admit there are attempts to try and stretch they sort of vary and vary the sort of gameplay a bit okay but none of them are graphically or as play as well or as anything as boulder dash they're just i think when you get it when they got it right with boulder dash don't think you can do a lot with it um and they they're, clearly they're trying and these attempts you know i just feel sorry for the people who own bbc's because they must just have a, a, a shelf with 50 games on and every single one is the same <laughs> it's a maze game anyway <laughs> but at full price this is not good value is it for £10, it's a bit expensive. It is, yeah. It's very it expensive for um, what it's, it is. It's, you know, and even at a budget price, it would be a little bit of a stretch, really, because there's Boulder Dash stuff out there. But I suppose if you can stand it and you don't mind getting eye strain and you don't, you're not offended by the, the general graphics, it's, it's just not, it's not a terrible game in any stretch of the imagination, but it's, and it's a playable puzzle if you like that kind of thing. If you can stand it and you've got 10 quid literally to burn, then um, then you probably uh, would, you probably would have enjoyed it back in the day. Not for me, this one though. I'll stick to Boulder Dash, thanks. Yeah, no, that's fair. that's exactly right. It's it's just it, it's odd. It's odd and different and weird, but it's it is as its heart another one of these maze games. And that's mm. you know if your if your passion lies in those kind of maze games, you're going to get a kick out of this. Did they make any other kind of game on the BBC other than well, that's Elite? What, that's what I asked last time. Because isn't yep. isn't what's it face things like. What's what's the classic elite game? Citadel is it? That no, Cit- Citadel is a is a good game on the BBC, but it's not like this. That's more of a castle explorer type thing, isn't it? But yeah, I don't know. But those are the three types of game: castle explorer, boulder dash, or elite. <laughs> All right, or text adventure, I suppose. Maybe Jimmy, I bought Jimmy, I bought you a BBC. You can have one type of one of the three types of games. <laughs> I've got you sixty games. They're all the same. Ah. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> You've got 7,000 maze levels to work your way through. Can I am a Commodore 64? No. Enjoy your 32K goodness. Enjoy it. <laughs> it draws lines, Jimmy. It draws them fast. <laughs> Just type in some basic commands. There you go. There you go. That's fun, isn't it? That's as much fun as Outrun. It's not. <laughs> shut up. Oh, dear. Poor, poor old... 10 print, shut up. 20 print, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Third print, go to 10. Yeah. Don't print it. Don't print go to 10. It won't do anything. The person the person who bought his son a BBC, our daughter, BBC computer, he probably spoke to them in basic. 10 print, go to bed. 20, go to 10. Or he named his children basic commands. 20, talk, go and talk to Ghost Sub, will you? Get him in bed. Oh, JS. God, that's, 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 we're going down niche, you know, geek humour there. Where's your daughter, JSR? <laughs> God, you got an assembly code. Holy Jesus. <laughs> We've reached a new kind of new kind of tech joke crazy. <laughs> I've gone full on opcode madness. <laughs> opcode humor for the win. LDX01. BNE. What are you doing? <laughs> you mean BEQ? No, BNE. <laughs> Good jokes, then. Well done, yeah. Absolutely. TAX. Yeah. TAX, mate. TAX. <laughs> I went down a storm at Edinburgh at the Fringe, I tell you. <laughs> he did all the coders were like, I tried typing in. He's talking in typing. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were registering their, their humour in, in lols. <laughs> yeah, nops. Nop. I don't like it. Nop, 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 nop. We've got to stop this right now. These jokes are getting so obscure. People are going, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah, they took it machine code humor. This is, that's beyond niche. That is like 8-bit machine code jokes. Wow. Well, it's, what our, it's what our listeners like. We know our audience. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be sat at home now laughing, laughing S-Y-S-Y-S-63276, to themselves. SYS 63276, enter. That's it. I've just reset us. All right. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Bizarre. Bizarre. On the extreme. Greg, let's move Jesus. on. And Graham, take us on an outrun. Outrun, outrun. Do you know what? This is a massive thing, isn't it? Outrun. Wow. Mm. When I did some of the research, now I've always liked Outrun. In fact, I'll tell you this right now. Mm-hmm. Outrun is one of my favourite arcade games of all time. It's a great arcade of game. Of all time. The arcade game is amazing. So this C64 version was developed by Amazing Products, that is the coding and graphics team of Martin and Dennis Webb. The musician was Jason C. Brook. This was US Gold. It was. At the C64 helm. Before I dive into the C64, let's just take a little cast an eye at the arcade. It was obviously the great, amazing sort of... Now, it's not a racing game, and I think it's very important to say that, because this is this was always classed as a driving game. In fact, Yu Suzuki, who designed and invented this particular game, made a point of saying that it is not a racing game, this is a driving game. And it is. You're not racing anybody, you're just driving to an end point. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it in the fastest time possible, and against the clock. So I think th- th- there can't be many people on the planet that don't really know what OutRun is, but... A very brief description. You are the driver of a Ferrari Testarossa. Um, you are going on a series of routes down a long road, um, navigating your car along a track. Um, you're against the clock, like a countdown clock, so you've got to try and reach the checkpoint. I think this is, what's the official name for these checkpoint-type games, but there's an official name for them. But you've got to get to the checkpoint before your timer runs out. When you get to the checkpoint, you get a little time boost, and you can sort of and you can work it that way. If you happen to hit other vehicles or fly off the track or lose control of the vehicle, you're going to lose time. If you lose too much time, you're not going to make it to the checkpoint. End of game. At various stages throughout the route, you can actually choose a, choose the sort of different route in the arcade. You can choose different routes, and that sort of navigates you through. I think the five or six stages in the arcade, maybe. But either way, it navigates you through it's to the five. end stage. 
five stages. You get to the th- end of the fifth stage, and then you've you've finished the race. You get a track time, a good time, and you know you're you know the hero. And that's kind of the notion of outrun. It was never racing against lots of cars. There are vehicles in your way, and you've just got to kind of get to the end and not run out of time, which is very cool. Now. The Outrun Arcade was known for its crazy, crazy hardware. In fact, it was a very expensive arcade. It's a combination of the brains of Yu Suzuki. Yu Suzuki, of course, we've spoken about many times, but this is the guy that brought us Hang On, was it? And a few others and some... Space you know, Harrier. Some- yeah, spa- space, space Harrier. Harrier. Incredibly talented designer. It apparently took 10 months to make, to design and build Outrun and did most of that work himself. Wow. So very talented guy. And the music, of course, for this, which is arguably the other most famous thing about Outrun, yep. um, is by Hiroshi Kawaguchi. And of course, the cabinet itself, if you ever in the UK and you get to the uh, arcade club in Leeds, and I think there's even one at the arcade club in Manchester, there is a deluxe arcade cabinet, which features hydraulics when you turn the vehicle, force feedback on the steering wheel. These are cr- incredible inventions at the time. And obviously, it's got the super scalar mega Sega engine that powered all of the graphics which is essentially loads of ramped up 68,000 processors, loads of sound chips thrown in. It was a very expensive piece of hardware and also was one that one of the first arcades where they t- were told in the arcades that got these games to increase the price per player because they were so expensive. Yep. So to make your money back, you're going to have to you know pump pound coins or whatever it was into this, which is one of the reasons I have a love-hate relationship with it, the arcade, because I love, love it to play it. And recently playing it when it was free, it was amazing. But back in the day, it was a frustrating experience because it was so hard. It's quite new, quite inventive, but also expensive. And those aren't good combinations for someone that's crap at driving when they're a young person. <laughs> anyway, so I won't wax too lyrical about the arcade. We've all heard of, seen arcade, the Outrun Arcade. It's, it was just basically a successor to their Hang On hardware. Used, like, as I said, to super scale stuff, tons of processors and graphics hardware and all that stuff. Loads of complicated stuff. There's an entire, I'll put the link in the show notes. There's an entire page dedicated to the Sega Outrun hardware. Go fill your boots with that. If reading about that kind of tech stuff gets you all fizzy and poppy, go and do that. What we need to know is that this was um, the highest grossing arcade game of 1987, as well as Sega's most successful arcade cabinet of the 1980s. And of course, we know that it was ported to lots and lots of home computers, consoles, loads and loads of things. This This is a big, big deal. And is considered one of the most influential games of all time. But it's considered one of the most influential games of its type of all time, which is kind of incredible, isn't it? Apparently it's influenced so many games and video games and stuff like that and more sorts of stuff. It's even influenced popular music and popular stuff. And it's just, it's a very, very big deal. Big deal. So obviously you're controlling that Ferrari Testarossa and in the arcade, you've got a steering wheel. You don't have the luxury of those things, giant 25-inch screens and all of that when you've got the Commodore 64 version. But what do you get? Now, I love Outrun in the arcade. I do. It is, like I said, one of my very favorite arcade games. And the music is in my top arcade music of all time list. I mean, it is that high. All of the arcade themes, I love them. I've even got them on my iPhone on Spotify under the Sega albums they released. I listen to them very regularly because I love it. I think it's a brilliant thing. And I still do. In fact, I re- and I really wanted this to be better than it was back in the day. I don't know if you remember the Ferrari and excitement of the Outrun was coming to the home versions. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really big deal. I really wanted it to be good because one, I loved Outrun in the arcade. And two, as I said before, out- the arcade was expensive and quite difficult. So this was a chance to play it at home. Now, the first thing to say here is that this game does have that interesting creation story. The father and son duo, Den- uh, Martin and Dennis Webb, that created this C64 game certainly had the opportunity of a lifetime at their fingertips. But from what I've read, uh, they ended up having quite the strained relationship, which was, I think this was the tip of the spear, maybe. I think between them, what they've done 
they did what they could do in terms of the C64 version, because obviously there's going to be, to take on a massive uncompromising hardware behemoth like OutRun, you've got to be pretty brave and you've got to be pretty sure of yourself. And reading through the various accounts online of how this game came to be, how much pressure this must have placed on their relationship as father and son. And in spite of, at the time, really healthy royalty payments, I think there is little wonder that this game turned out in the way that it presents itself. So if the information abound on the internet is correct, and there's no reason to suggest that it's not, given that Martin Webb has contributed to many of the accounts of this over time, and including an article I'll link in the show notes, this was a complex, uncompromising home version license conversion, an IP that cost US gold £250,000 for the home rights version. So a lot of money, especially back then. Yep. The license conversion project was then given to the bright and talented 17-year-old game programmer and his dad, who previously worked on a demo of a car racing game that they based on their game for the CC4, Max Talk. You know, I don't remember us liking Max Talk. That no, much. we didn't. We didn't like it very much. So, according to the article, um, the boy behind the biggest coin-op conversion of the eighties, Outrunning on Empty, which was written by Martin Carroll for Eurogamer, they were given an upfront payment of twenty thousand pounds and a very short time frame between March and April, from what I can gather, to November nineteen eighty-seven to get the game programmed, packaged, and ready to ship for Christmas. That's how, that's the time frame to convert an arcade-like outrun into the C64. Now, they were also given no instructions, no footage, or nothing. At a certain point of just this game's creation, they had to literally master every track on that arcade game themselves between Martin and Dennis, and they recorded it on a Super 8, and right. then that's what led them to be able to design the tracks that they did. How bonkers is all of that? It's not good. Now, the article, I won't go into it, but the article details a whole bunch of pressure and problems with the loader and the packaging, and there's all sorts of issues that befell this game. And it was a miracle and only really the testament of um, Martin that it actually got completed in time because he was burning the midnight oil. In fact, I think it pretty much burnt him out totally at that point. I don't know how much, how many more games came after this with, with them both. But either way, it, it was causing all sorts of problems for them, I think, later down the line. And it's a tall order, isn't it? A lot of pressure. Anyway, I'm not going to go and say any more about that particular relationship, but it's... Uh, Suffice to say, it put a lot of strain on them, and we got the version that we got. There's two versions of this as well. Um, there's the EU version, which is the EU-UK version, I suppose. EU, EU version, European version. European, yeah. Power, and the US version. version. Um, the US version is actually better, strangely, in some ways, than the EU version. How weird is that? Just same, principally the same, but it it's slightly... You know, we had the same thing with um, Space Harry, though, didn't we? We did. We did indeed. game is essentially the same that's the, as the arcade, with the applied constraints of having 64K and an 8-bit home computer. So the question really becomes, because it's not comparable to the arcade, if you ask me, how good a racing game is this on the C64? And what, if any, elements of OutRun actually remain in? So what is actually comparable, really? What do you, what do you get for your, for your 10 quid? The EU version does not have the root selector map screen, which is kind of an important screen in the arcade. And it's also how it shows you how far you've got in the arcade, but that's yeah. not in this at all, in the, in the Euro version. Instead, you have to select one of the five routes from a really boring list. The list yeah. describes them as Vineyard, Death Valley, Desolation Hill, Autobahn, and Lakeside. Now, I'm thinking with names like Death Valley and Desolation Hill. I'm not feeling a bit down. Is that the actual names, or did that, is that something that Martin was like? I'm not sure. Fine, I'm, not I'm sure. calling this level Death Valley then, Dad. Anyway, I don't know. You select one of those, and then it loads that route in as a separate load. Each of these routes is split into five sections, a la the arcade, with a timer counting down as you hurl around the track, trying to hit checkpoints. These cars, skidding, roadside furniture, all hinder your time wise, as I said. If you get through each stage, you get to the end, and your time will dictate your scoreboard. You control your car with the joystick. It up is accelerate, down is decelerate, and left to right is obviously steer, with the fire button switching between gears one and two. Pretty sure Ferraris have more than two gears, but okay. So it's technically low low and high. Um, the track will bend and swish about. You need to try and steer around the roads, avoiding the cars, and making sure you don't fly off the track, all of which costs you precious time, as I've said. The main window of the game is the play area, 
And I think that's admit is admittedly quite large for a game of this type, really. At the top of the screen is your countdown timer, score and lap timer at the bottom left, your current speed in KPH, and on the bottom right, your current stage. This had no save feature in this version. So even if you could save your scores, once you switch the God 64 off, say goodbye to them. That's a bit disappointing that, mm-hmm. even for even on the disc version. I don't know, was, was this released on disc in the UK? I don't think it was. No, it yeah, was like it was, tape- yeah. No, it was 12 quid on, I thought it was on tape disc, only. 10 no, That's because the version we've played is the um, disc version, because on the tape oh, version, right. each each one is loaded separately. You don't have that menu choice. No, and I think it was, did, with the disc version and the tape version, you actually got a recording of the arcade music on a separate audio cassette as Poss- well. I think. Possibly, yeah. Part of the packaging. Graphics-wise, we're compromising fidelity for speed. I'm being kind when I say fidelity for speed in this game. Your carriage, very large, but blocky. And I suppose it is a rendition of the Ferrari Spider. It does kind of look like it. With your girlfriend in the C64 version, inexplicably having dark hair. It's blonde hair in the arcade and in the US version of the game. Also, the rear of the Spider looks blockier and wider than the actual Spider does and the C64 US version and arcade versions do. So I'm not sure why. But I think it's so that the guy did the graphics, which is Dennis Webb, the, the, his dad, yeah. he could put D- DW on the number plate on the back. I think that's the sole reason why that's there, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, um, yeah I guess. Um, if you do crash, you'll be either treated to a stark warning from your girlfriend with a shake of her angry fist, or your car will spin over and crash. These moments are there in the C64, rendered in the way that only a C64 can render such things. <laughs> Blocky and such is the way I'd describe them. No, I suppose they occur fast and mercilessly. You don't see a lot of it. The usual raster bar effects gives the illusion of car speed, with though with no wheel motion on the vehicle, you just appear to float, which is really disappointing because that's easy to do. See pit stop two. Yeah, you've, um, only got, you've only got to wobble a line. You've only got to move a yeah. line like that. Yeah, you yeah just, that's all you need. Move it up and down. You get a bit. It's the illusion of speed. Um, so, you, so you float around, and the hills and valleys are here, kinder though they're more of a workaround with some raster effects, sort of moving the things up and down. So you're not. It's not quite the same as the hills that are in the arcade, but okay. They tried. There's backgrounds yeah. in the distance. I think it's just a cloud. You know, it's very simple. <laughs> it's cloud or yellow clouds. or colour. Oh, yeah. So it's 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 very simplistic. The US version has a slight variation of that. Then there are there is an occasion where there was a mountain and there was even a little shade of parallax scrolling at one point, which I noticed, which is odd. The items at the side of the road are blocky and horrible. There's no other way to describe them. <laughs> and um, and but, wrong. <laughs> cl- but clearly they're there to act as a sort of a speedy zooming item. So again, the trade-off was fidelity, no speed. You know what? What can you possibly see at that kind of speed? Well, horrible, blocky things, really. If you do it like that, I do get why they did it because at the end of the day, the only thing you can really hope to achieve here is is a speedy experience. If you're going to try anything like this, and so you've got to make sure everything runs at least as fast because the arcade was famous for its speed um, and and it had the power to do it. So you've got to trade off. You, you can't expect to match that in a 64, C64. Everything else is pretty much impossible, really, isn't it? So as much as Outrun is famous for the hydraulic cabinet and all the arcade fire that it presented, the music is equally as important, maybe even more so, actually, if you if then that's all that's left. The C64 does at least have an amazing sound chip, so maybe there's a way of leveraging that. You only get two of the selectable arcade pieces of in-game music from in the C64 port. That is the magical sound shower and splash wave. Um, and the versions are, say, aren't terrible. They do have the right notes, <laughs> just about. But there's no match for the arcade power here. And they don't really add much to this anyway. The notion of the musical selector screen is quite nice. Apparently that's something US Gold insisted must be in the game and the first thing that Martin Webb coded. And you can choose the sound effects. I quite like that, but the sound effects are horrible. Really yeah. crap for both versions, whether it's US or, or the um, Euro version. But you, So you'd be better off listening to the music. 
mm-hmm. and the music isn't that bad. The US version has better loading screens. The map root screen is present. It runs faster. The car looks more like a Ferrari Spider. They're all good things. That's yeah. a good thing. Um, same people did it, which is strange. The same exact same, same. I think they just flew him off somewhere else to do it, but he still did it in two weeks. Bizarre. Unt extreme. Um, <laughs> the, the music is the same. Most of the wider graphics are the same. Awful blocky cars, trees, crowds. Has those crowds? There's queues, just queues of yellow, blocky-head people just queuing by the side of a road, just queues of people, just queuing, just queuing. Weird. Don't have them. Don't put them in. I put, I think, you know, something that would have worked better and does when it's applied is just have simple roadside details like bushes and bridges. Now, I know they're not perfect. I know that. But a bush is a bush is a bush. If you put people there, oh, God forbid those awful blocky house things, oh, they just look stupid. Those houses. Don't, don't put them in. You're better off just having tr- trees and bushes and things that you can do. And there are, those things are doable. And if you're driving at speed, who really notices the shape of a tree? You can kind of get away with it a little bit. But anyway, so the houses, the palm trees, the crowds in long lines, they don't look great. But the bushes and the sort of bridge things, the tunnel things, you're going, okay, they're more or less more passable than than anything else but it still ain't great i think as a product of a 17 year old and his dad over a few months this is actually pretty much what you'd expect it to be if you if you looked at someone said these are the parameters of a game's creation what do you think it turned out like you'd say what was the oh no and, and then you showed them out and said they had to fit that into that and you should put the arcade cabinet with all of its hydraulics next to a commodore 64 bread bin and they're gonna go they got that into that yeah. you know that is an it's an impressive feat for a 17 year old hats off to martin webb and dennis as well for doing what they what they were doing, because they were being heavily exploited by US Gold at this point, without a doubt, without a doubt, courted, shown a bit of cash, you know, threw cash at them, wowed them with you know the brouhaha, and gave them a impossibly difficult license and a challenge for somebody that it's just it's not a good thing to to do that to people. Anyway, I never actually hated the C sixty four version of Outrun outright. I just remember my heart sinking when I first loaded it up back in the day. I remember really being excited and then seeing it going, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and I was. It suddenly reminded me that I've got a Commodore sixty four, not a sixty eight thousand powered <laughs> mega machine. Yeah, but the villains of this piece really are US Gold, if anyone, because this is just. Should this license really have been made? I mean, they made a lot of money off this. This was a huge success across all these different platforms. They made tons of money off it. I know, and I know Martin and Dennis were equally compensated at some point. I think they got about eighty-five, ninety thousand pounds at one point, and that's a lot of money back then. You know, it's a lot it of is. money back then. It's, it's a lot of money now, but it's, it's certainly back then. It's a lot for this. But this is outrun with its heart ripped out in many ways, isn't it? What you could, what else could you really expect? I suppose is my question. What possible avenue other than money would be the motivation for creating this as a home version and then exploiting two people to make it? And, and I think that's the tragedy of this, is that this the cost of this game was the relationship potentially between two people, of two family members. Mm-hmm. And if you read the article, I mean, I think this there is a lot of self-analysis in there. And Martin Webb is very candid and honest about how he felt about certain things. I think he lives in Brazil now. I'm not sure he does, has anything to do with games. I think he runs his own company, IT company anyway. So that's my thought on OutRun. I, I like the arcade. The C64 version is exactly as you would expect it to be. Because if, if, if you've learned anything from this podcast and learning from the arcade conversions of this type, you cannot fit that kind of arcade into C- into a C64. What you get is exactly what you get if you try that with a 17-year-old and his dad. But we'll discover strangely later, with more time and effort and less pressure um, to try and cram it out for Christmas, you start to see what the C64 could have done. Check out Turbo Outrun, which was completed by Probe in 1989, and later Outrun Europa, which was another one by Probe in 1991. Both of those have got a much bigger ante on the graphics and the sound and the, everything and the ante is up. They're much better than this. So at least this is a starting point. It's, it proved in some ways that there was it was possible. And there is an outrun game in there somewhere, isn't there? The saddest thing of all is that it's just I still remember I still feel the pain of loading it up that day and going, and my heart sinking when I saw it going, oh. 
Yeah. It's, why did I think that it would be anything like the arcade? What why? about you? Yeah. It's, a, it's an admirable attempt to fit another massive arcade, Sega arcade game in 64K and an 8-bit computer, exactly what you said. For me, though, the fact there are no intersections is frustrating. It just leaves you with five predestined tracks, and that, for me, it just renders this. It's not Outrun. It's not yeah. Outrun. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, the out, Outrun bits, really. is the, is the um, intersections. It's the choices you make as you go along. There are 15, you know, there are 15 sections in all in the arcade games. You've got one, two, three, four, five as you go through them. And then the, you know, the way you can traverse and go through each of them gives you a different game all the time. And that's that's the beauty of Outrun. That's one of the joys of it. Don't have it. It is. So just, uh, the music's okay. As you said, the versions of Splash Wave and Magical Sound Shower, they're good, they're good renditions. They're all right. They're recognizable. Just not Outrun. And I don't think they could have, well, as you rightly said, and I think you're right, they could, they, they don't think they could have done any more with it. Everything is sort of there. The speed of the track is good, but the blocky and twitchy sprite scaling on the cars is horrible. The toy town houses in the first level, along with pretty bad traffic on the road, jitters about all over the place. Just makes this, it's outrunning name and music only for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Couple that yeah. with the fact that you must reload the whole thing to try the different courses. And it's just yeah. a painful experience Terrible. overall. As you've noted, interesting additions to the US version that obviously had a bit more time allotted to it, even if it was just a couple of weeks. But still the same issues plaguing it, even if it does have the course image instead of just text on the PAL version. We said it about Space Harrier and we've said it about loads of others. This machine is creaking at the seams trying to do justice to these arcade behemoths and no one comes out of it looking good. For me, this is an outrun, <laughs> as they would say in Yorkshire, and I were right about that saddle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You've yes. been attacked by spiders too. I got, I got attacked by a fly. A fly. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, that's, it's an outrun. It's an outrun. Yeah, yeah, an outrun. An outrun. Um, yes, it is. What it's, 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 I just think it's that. what you're going to get. It's exactly what you said. Yeah, it's what yeah, you were going yeah, to get. It is what it what is. did you expect by trying to cram this in? Yeah. At this stage, in the you know, this, yeah. by getting a 17 year old, to do, like what you what, by you know, had they seen Max talk? It wasn't that great. <laughs> well, apparently, he put he put together a demo and went to see US Gold with his demo that he'd created, like a demo of a version of Outrun that he'd done himself based on the Max Talk engine, but he'd replaced the car with a Porsche yeah. and put a, like a dashboard and showed them that. And he just blew them away with it. So they're like, right, I've got an idea. They put, apparently, in, in, if you read the article, took him off to a room and, and said, you know what? We've just got this big license game. They didn't you know. Martin and Dennis didn't know anything about it. They just took him into this room and said, we've got this big license. It's Outrun. Do you want it? So, I mean, who wouldn't? If you're a 17 year old, you'd be like, hell yeah, give me that. You know, yeah, give me it. You would. Give me, give me, give me kind of thing. But, I think that's probably a decision you'd come later to regret. And they were like, "Where's our bloody game? Where's Outrun?" You're like, "Well, <laughs> as they stood got there, a slight problem. Stood there with a, with a big <laughs> wrench at your knee. Well, they've got no manual or no 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 guidance or anything from Sega whatsoever. Well, it's crazy. I mean, but, what, but that was yeah. the, that was the nature of arcade conversions back then, wasn't it? It was just like, yep. you, you bought it. Here's the arcade. Yeah. You know, here's the arcade. Play it. And then the only solace I found through looking at the there's a video I've got which is a little brief history of Outrun which is actually quite a fun video because it features all the various different conversions of pretty much every platform the only um, solace I found was that there are worse conversions than the C64 oh, in fact me. of the 8-bit platforms the C64 is probably the best really um Probably, maybe pipped by the Master System a little, but the uh, which you probably would expect given that it's Sega. But if you really want, uh, you know, an eyeball horror, go and check out the Amstrad version, um, and you'll find uh, you'll find no you'll find no uh, happiness there. You won't. <laughs> okay, I'll have a look at that later. Just check it out. Well, I'll put that video in the show notes also, so everyone else can watch that and go ah. Goodness me. Apart from Amstrad owners <laughs> who are going, no, wrong with it. It's colourful. It's more colourful than the, the browns of the C64. <laughs> the rod up. That man's butt's got a rod up its butt. Indeed. <laughs> oh, there we go. Now run. Yeah. What did you expect? 
Stop it's a it. Magical sound golden shower. <laughs> yes. Well, I was thinking that, innit? It's like splash wave and magical sound shower. It's, uh, it's, it's used to yeah. Passing to tell us breeze is a good name for yeah. a fart, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And then it's a classic the, name. I think the, the later one in Outrun 2, there's Risky Ride. There is a Risky Ride, but I always like the idea of just naming your farts after a passing breeze. <laughs> what was that? Just a passing breeze. <laughs> just, it's just a passing breeze. Pay it no mind. <laughs> what was that? Splash wave. <laughs> Ew. It's that magical sound shower. You gads. There's nothing magical about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Hans Moretti would like that. <laughs> I'm off on a risky ride. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, oh, oh just had one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right there we go oh that's the first four games that ran long as ever but there you go it's not it's, we started off well football and then ended on a risky ride <laughs> with a passing breeze <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear right anyway uh we're going to take a quick break um and then we shall be back where we'll be looking at tv for february 1988 so uh yeah stay with us Cornish pasties filled to their bursting seams and some lovely smooth gravy for our show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find a whole bunch of brilliant audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. I can tell you, David once threw a toy frisbee into space for a laugh. That's just how he rolls. And is an amazing writer too. Check out this excerpt from his brilliant audiobook, Escape from the Commodore 64, which is available right now. She felt her energy levels go up as she approached another door and kicked it down, just like Joan Jett would have. Instinct told her to back away. It was then that the bird she had seen on the warlord's shoulder flew at her and attacked. Torn after the experience with the bull, where she hadn't wanted to fight, she did nothing to defend herself as the bird struck her and flew away. The dreaded virtual bird came in again and once more struck Sarah, who again did nothing to defend herself. She winced in pain, looking at blood seeping from her forearm, where a claw had cut her. Whoa, how good was that? I'll be having me some of that tasty audio goodness, I can tell you that. To get your own copy of that and all the other works from David, visit davidhernwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. Now, go, go, go! And we're back. We're back to discuss TV highlights in the cold, cold month of February 1988. We're all stuck inside. It was probably snowing. It was. February, February in the UK when we had proper snow and everything. Back and not this, When we had winter, yeah. When we had winter, yeah. Um, and we're when all inside. It, we're so, winter. So what are we watching? What are we watching? Well, on the 1st of February, TVAM celebrated its first birthday with Anne Diamond being joined by Richard Keyes, Giles Brandreth, Sue Pollard and Jimmy Greaves. It's the first time TVAM has been able to get its daily output down to an hour of pre-recorded material since the beginning of the strike. However, the station continues to air imports of old US shows for several months. There you go. did indeed, yeah. Now, I did a little bit of research to find out what those TV shows were because I couldn't remember what they were. Apparently, it was repeatedly old episodes of Batman, Flipper and Happy Days. So, and according to... (laughs) um, Morning Glory, a history of British breakfast television by Ian Jones. It was a catastrophe, this whole thing. Bruce Gingell, is that Gingell? Bruce Gingell, I think. The managing director of TVAM at the time decided he would try and do literally everything himself as he had no technical production or support staff at all. None. They were on strike. None. So he attempted to manage the whole broadcasting operation (laughs) single-handedly, enlisting anyone left in the building, including tea ladies, teenagers on work experience and cleaners, to assist him. The end result, 
where shows being shown in the wrong order or repeatedly, or in some instances, a famous example was Flipper, shown completely backwards. Um, <laughs> awesome. timing, the timings were all over the shop, so often episodes would start in the middle and supposed at the beginning, so there was panicking, panic-stricken rewinding of the tapes and things during advert breaks and then quickly pressing the play button again. So sometimes they'd show the first half of the TV show twice. Part two of episodes were often shown before the part one. Dogs and cats were living together. It was chaos. Uh, but I bet, and I've noted, I bet it was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I bet that was good. Yeah. I'd have to watch Flipper backwards and going, it's, did anyone notice? That was the question. Probably, Probably people didn't. That well, dolphin no. is very clever. He can swim completely backwards. <laughs> wow. That bullet just went back in that gun. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that was, uh, I don't, I remember him being on strike and I don't, but I don't remember switching. I didn't watch a lot of TV AM, I guess, really. So, I, no, but I, I, do, I do remember seeing. Through. I remember seeing Happy Days, but I'm thinking it was a bit on, but a bit odd. But I yeah. don't remember much of it. Well, so. the, the strike was continuing because the the deadline. This was the first February on which the Act ACTT must. I don't know what that is. It's the union must accept TVAM's ten point plan, which was aimed at resolving the strike. However, the plan was rejected by a ballot, and the union refused to resume negotiations. Hence, the chaos that ensued. Exactly, and they said because they came back with the feedback, we need a plan that goes to eleven. <laughs> no, it's the end of that. <laughs> and an eleven the point that. plan. <laughs> indeed none of this 10 point we mock your 10 point plan ah, <laughs> no. laugh we laugh at your 10 point 10 points we clearly need 11 or maybe even 12 but 11 will do the <laughs> <laughs> Klingons are in yeah. well he's getting anyone he can he's getting anyone he can <laughs> to, desperate. Uh, yeah, to do this to the show <laughs> I laugh. Exactly. You, you laugh like a pathetic tigler would you accept this 10 points only one way to find out you played it backwards clecklock you stupid idiot that's not my name it's colin you're saying my name backwards nolik nilok nilok it's not nilok it's colin it's Colin. Are you a Klingon or not? <laughs> no, none of us are. Take your Klingon glasses off, you loopy idiot. <laughs> Absolutely. Those Bloody stupid hell. bridges. Uh, yeah. Cornish pastiad. Indeed. 5th of February, <laughs> the inaugural Red Nose Day. 5th yeah. February, 1988, the inaugural Red Nose Day saw Comic Relief air its first A Night of Comic Relief fundraiser on BBC One. Really. Do you remember any of this? Do you I, remember any of it? Now, it's funny. I, I remember it occurring earlier, but I can't. I'm conflating loads of different things together. Because I thought that this whole thing started earlier than the fifth of February, nineteen eighty-eight. I th- but there was a, there was children in need, wasn't there? So I'm, mm-hmm. I wonder if so I'm getting children in need conflated with Red Nose Day. And I don't know if they're all part of the same thing, or I don't know. But it raised fifteen million pounds, attracted thirty million television users, and a, and over one hundred and fifty celebrities and comedians participated. It's pretty incredible that. It is good. I remember. No, it wasn't this. Um, it wasn't this uh, Red Nose Day. It must have been either the one after or the third one um, when I was in the sixth form. And the reason I remember it is because I tried to do something to raise money for current relief. Oh, what did um, you do? I, I said I was going to eat ten tins of baked beans. Right? Did you? No, I got through about four. Is that and, all? Uh, have you ever tried to eat <laughs> tins of baked beans? It gets very. <laughs> it gets very. Um, <laughs> Beanie. It, it gets very stodgy. It's a lot of bean, that. And then later on that day, I had the worst farts I've ever, I, ever I had. I wonder why. It, it was just horrific. It was, I was in pain. It was so sharp and so so harsh. So, so beanie. Much, there was so much, so much pulses running through my system. But there's an entire joke strand of you being full of beans, really. There? <laughs> I was there very is. full of beans. My house was, was full of beans. beans. My room was full of beans. <laughs> the, the, there was people down the road coming down to complain about the noise. <laughs> 
It was horrific. Oh, dear. That's funny. You know, that first, the only thing I remember vaguely about that first comic relief was that uh, I think the young ones did, a, did, did sang with, is it, they might have sang Living Doll, I think, with Cliff Richard or something like that. Is that where Living, may, maybe, I don't know. I think, I think, I think, I think that might be where they did it on that stage. Be. I seem to remember something Could like have been. that. Anyway. But that's the only thing I remember. And the other thing I remember, this vague smell of burnt beans in the air around that time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hanging like a miasma over our, <laughs> yeah. over our home it estate. Just, the whole of the sky went orange for weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. And there was a, the clouds were, the clouds were marked with the word Heinz. Exactly. There was old people carrying in the, under their tables in because the, they thought it was the bloody nuclear nuclear blast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was like, like a when real the wind blows. Like when the wind blows. <laughs> it's yeah. like when the arse blows. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. There were plenty of passing breezes that night, I can tell you. <laughs> Lots of snores, scrubs and gruels knew what it was like to be roasted in the fires of hell that night. <laughs> yeah, Zool. Massive zooling of absolutely. the sky. <laughs> Huge zooling. <laughs> oh dear, that's a lot of bean. That is was... a lot of bean baked baked bean material. It's awful, awful. I can't yeah. eat beans. Absolutely, <laughs> it was terrible. Thirteenth of February, Scottish and Granada begin a twenty-four hour broadcasting. Central, which had been keeping its transmitters on the air since last April, by filling its closed-down period with its job finder service, they launch a full overnight schedule. JobFinder also launches on both Granada and Scottish, and all three companies broadcast JobFinder for one hour, beginning at 4 a.m. Who is looking for a job at 4 a.m.? <laughs> People who really want to work. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Or have got insomnia. I don't know. Yeah. I decided to work, because obviously we've spoken about the night network thing, haven't we? Apparently um, yeah. there was night, night network, and then it got changed to more central at some point. Ooh. And also, I think night shift as well. Anyway. I decided to put together my own night network schedule of TV programs. Okay, go on then. Now, I didn't do the full schedule from 11 till 5, but I've got uh, 11 o'clock, uh, this is PM, obviously, 11 p.m. to 11.30, you've got Dom's Dominoes, which is consumer rights champion Dominic Littlewood brings us the latest news from the exciting world of regional dominoes. Highlights this week are the Doncaster <laughs> Dominators' impressive defeat of the Kroll Cannonballs. Um, 11.30 to 12.30, Splash TV. That's an anarchic TV game show where celebrities are thrown from a helicopter into a swimming pool as they attempt to collect balloons and answer questions. That's hosted by Jeremy Beadle. Um, 12.30 to 1am, Punch and Judy. Frank Bruno and Judy Finnegan interview celebrity <laughs> guests and ask difficult questions. If they don't like the answer, Frank Bruno punches their faces inwards. <laughs> what if they do uh, like the answer? What does Judy do? <laughs> you don't want to know. Um, and then uh, this is as late far as night. I got. Late night. 1am uh, to 1.40 was a Dutch cop show, Driller and Bit. Uh, that's the translation. Uh, it's a grimy Dutch cop show with Gus van der Kamp and Frieda Fliederburden as cops, driller, and bits who work for the Department of Clogan Snap, um, solving <laughs> shoe crimes. That's as far as I got. <laughs> a lot of clog-based crime, right? <laughs> and, uh, no offence to anybody who's, uh, who's Dutch, Dutch and who wears no. clogs. Yeah, no, no we like clogs. Yeah, we, we Especially like on mice. <laughs> I want to see the rest of that that, uh, that scheduling, though. I'd watch that. Sounds better put, than crap, put, crap on TVAM. At least I'll you know it's not at 4 a.m. It's job finder. <laughs> I'll put the schedule in the show notes, of course. Of course. 13th to the 28th of February, we had the 1988 Winter Olympics. That was the 98 Winter Olympiad, to those who remember <laughs> the other month, <laughs> held in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And it's broadcast to television audiences around the world. In the UK, the BBC provides around five hours of live and recorded coverage each day it's quite a lot that that is quite a lot it's quite a lot i remember what before i noted that i remember watching loads of this and now i realize why because there was nothing else to watch (laughs) showing anything else (laughs) was that a job finder Um, so there's there's loads of interesting quirky bits about that winter olympics i'll put the wiki link because there's loads of interesting 
stuff in there if you like that kind of thing. The one thing I noted was that the this was the one where the Jamaican bobsleigh team made, team made their nation's first uh, their Winter Olympic debut. So okay. led to the film yeah. Cold Runnings, didn't it? It did, yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, so that's, this is the one where that's based around. So there you go. Nice, yeah. So yeah. Winter Olympics. 16th February, TVAM Managing Director Bruce Gingell sacks the, sta- sacks the station's locked-out staff and calls oh a meeting of its remaining employees the following morning. Who? <laughs> Who's left? To announce <laughs> that the act, ACTT, will never again organise itself at TVAM Studios. His decision <laughs> fails to resolve the crisis, however, as picketing continues and the quality of its output remains unchanged. It's yeah, not going well, is it? No, it's not. he's not doing so well, is he, old Bruce Gingell? No, he must, um, do, he must have been tearing his hair out at this point. Yeah. It's it, literally... It's- Sounds like a very angry man. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, imagine if you, you know, you put it on backwards, you stupid idiot. You're fired, you are. There's only me left. <laughs> I'm a tea. I'm a t- I'm just, I just make the tea. <laughs> I don't even work here. I'm the window cleaner. just fell in because the window was left open, you bloody idiot. Because <laughs> we got to lock up last night. Well, I'm sacking you anyway. Oi, Nylock, in here. Six quad loose. Let's beat him up. Go on, off you go. Um, just in February sometime in February Channel 4 started broadcasting into the early hours closing down between 2am and 3am previously Channel 4 had closed down at just after midnight missing that lucrative 4am job finder slot I feel (laughs) so they kept going a bit longer I remember them showing lots of weird sports I remember baseball being in there international mini golf table football badminton rounders and tiggy on lines which was a bit weird weird. you remember Um, that didn't they, weren't they the channel that broadcast the first Super Bowl? Yeah, that was that was the slot where they put in this, all the American football. It was There was one company that did all of those kind of sports. Yeah, so yeah I remember that was, being yeah, late was, yeah. on a, very late on a Sunday was, night. Because I remember yeah, being very tired was. for school the next morning. It was indeed. And that was where my um, love of American football kind of began. Because I started to watch those shows on quite a regular basis. Mm, there you go. Uh, new shows this month. 10th of February, Moondial. Uh, it's pretty One. interesting, actually. Did you think it looked pretty? It looks pretty um, cool. Yeah. Do, do you watch the trailer that I linked up to? Yeah. Did yeah. So look? I say, it look, I thought it looked. It looks. I mean, it looks of its time, but I thought it. I'd, not, I'd. I'd heard of it, and I think we've come across it before for some reason. But I'm going to check it out. Try and find it. Check it out because it does look pretty good. Mm, well, my partner said uh, that they uh, remembered it, and I said, "Can you describe it?" And they did. She described it perfectly. I was like, yeah, "It must oh. be pretty good then." Um, so she she remembers it. So it's yeah. So it's the story of a young girl, Minty, who's staying who's staying with her aunt after her mother is injured in a car accident. She spent much of her time wandering around the grounds of a nearby mansion, and she's drawn to a moon dial, moon dial that enables her to travel back in time, where she becomes involved with two children, Tom, who lives in the Victorian era, and Sarah, who seems to live in the previous century to that and must save them from their own unhappy lives that's pretty good that yeah it's quite interesting i, mm. I did watch the trailer it's a very looks very odd but um strange more importantly i think though 15th february red dwarf starts yeah you know. red dwarf that is an amazing show it's it an really amazing is. yeah it really it really is the first six seasons of red dwarf are just ace um yep um, the only dip in that is three is not as good as the rest. But episode you know, seasons one, two, four, five, and six—they're all brilliant. They're all brilliant. Not so, not so much these days. And after seven, it went a bit downhill. But those first six series, mm. astonishing. And they got they got me through so much in my university. I used to watch it. Someone had them all at university on video, and I just nicked them all of them and just kept watching them because they're really good. Uh, some Ace episodes, like I remember the Polymorph episode particularly is brilliant. So yeah, yeah, just Polymorph. There's, really there's too ones. there's too many good episodes. I mean, better than life. They, they were doing what they were also doing as well. Like, if you watch a lot of Red Dwarf. You see a lot of it repeated, or a lot of the ideas 
seem to turn up in later episodes of Next Generation, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and Voyager. And, with and, Voyager. I mean, goodness me, they've got a holographic character in Voyager, for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, there's a lot. This had a big influence, I think, on a lot of other things. Did you, have you ever watched absolutely. the... Um, the uh, US remake pilot. No, I haven't. I don't. I don't tend to watch the US List, pilot remakes. Uh, List as a buffy hero, you know, buff. No, oh, that doesn't work. He's no, it be doesn't. Sort of he's got to be scabby Lister. He's a space bum. That was the whole. Yeah. The, the last human being is a you know a space bum. And obviously, yep. you know, if watching the documentaries which are on the when they released them on DVDs, um, it's really sort of interesting that they you know they cast a, a black guy as the lead, as the last human in, in space. So that was quite a brave a brave thing and they never nearly never got made they had a, such a hard time getting this made because i think we've mentioned before that tv sci-fi was you know bbc was just not liked was it great it was said about great yeah it, it yeah. didn't like it and stuff like that so it was really not liked and they had to keep going and going and trying to get this on and eventually they did and it, it just picked up a, an audience and they managed to get a season two and it just cannonballed out from there and came back on didn't it, it came back a few years back on dave and it stuff did, and yeah. i think it's still actually still going i think yeah it is um, this good writing and good cast for this and as we've said with many times with the uk tv shows when you get that balance right we've got this formidable things happen they always they always are yeah and the, also as well the books are really good as well so the no, books are by, yeah they're really good um they're based they, they go more in depth on because obviously they do a lot more than what can be done on a bbc budget so there's a lot more stuff going on but they, mm. they essentially follow the um the plots of the first season so i think you know rimmer rimmer squared and stuff like that what me squared and stuff like that which is a great episode where there's two arnold rimmers what <laughs> I suppose one, for the one for the un- week and one for the Sunday best for the uninitiated and for our um, friends and yeah, listeners we say that what Red Dwarf might, is yeah. what, exactly what was Red Dwarf about I suppose well Red Dwarf um, is essentially it's a, it's a comedy sci-fi comedy show half hour comedy show um, starts off um, with two main characters you've got Lister who's a uh, they, they work on the, the Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf is this massive mining ship, huge spaceship out in space, floating out in space. And there's these two characters on it, uh, Lister and Rimmer. Uh, Rimmer is, uh, Lister is the main character. He's the, he's, uh, he's sort of space bum. He, he signed up and he's the lowest of the low on there. And just slightly above him is uh, uh, Arnold Rimmer, who is an, uh, you know, a, what, how do you describe him? How do you describe Rimmer, you know, he's a, sort of a pedan- a fish- pedantic, officious, yeah, do gooder, yeah, who, yeah. Who, think, who thinks his, his abilities, whose whose faith in his Jobs abilities with. far outweighs actual abilities. Yeah, um, yeah, is useless basically. Anyway, in the first episode, whilst trying to fix the drive plate, Rimmer. Uh, well, no, Lister smuggles a cat aboard and is sent into stasis. So he's put in stasis for 18 months. So he's, he's basically locked away. Meanwhile, uh, Rimmer causes a nuclear sort of, uh, sort of plasma leak chain reaction thing that incinerates everyone on board, creates a, and makes the Red Dwarf radioactive for 3 million years. So the onboard computer, Holly, essentially just legs it out into deep space. Three million years later, Lister is defrosted from stasis and finds out he's the last human. Um, Rimmer has been brought back because he's the only person he spoke to on board, but he's now a hologram. And they are joined by the evolved cat, uh, who's played by Danny John Jules. Um, And so the three of them are on this massive ship in the middle of space. So it's classic. It's classic, you know, um, odd couple situation, Mm. you know. And that's what it is. And then they, the first two, uh, first two seasons are just them on the ship trying to, well, just getting on each other's nerves, really. And then it goes <laughs> from there. It's brilliant. It's so good. If you haven't watched it, which I'm sure you have, if you listen to us, I'm pretty sure you probably know of Red Dwarf. But if you haven't, go watch it because it's brilliant and it's still brilliant. It really is it? good. Yeah. yeah, it's ace. Really, really funny. 
Yeah, so so cleverly written, and you know, ignore those sort of early eight, yeah, and ignore those early eighties special effects and stuff. Some of them are actually quite good, but they are what they are. But it's yeah. just as the writing and the stories are just ace. Um, especially things like um, what's that one where they lose, they wake up and he's broke his leg, and there's a the jigsaw puzzle's been done and everything, and they can't that's figure right. out what, yeah, what's, been, yeah, what's happened. Right. So good, it's so funny, clever, clever, clever yeah. stuff. Yeah, it really is good. In fact, the funny thing is the only the only thing I've seen that's that's right that's written as cleverly as that that that's in a comedy way as well, is Rick and Morty. Mm. So Rick and Morty, there's, there's a, obviously it's a very different type of comedy in many ways, but that thread of complex sci-fi logic and the twists on that logic and how that operates with a small bunch of people, that is what Rick and Morty does. And it's definitely, you know, you, you see it in Red Dwarf and then you'll see it in Red, Rick and Morty. So yeah. it's, it's all I mean, good the, stuff, really good. I mean, Red, Red Dwarf owes, owes a lot of its genesis to Hitchhikers. So yes, got, it does, and, yeah. and, and the BBC TV production of Hitchhikers, Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. So if you if you like that, then you'll probably like this because it's just as clever. It's just that kind of those kind of looping narratives. There's a great one as well where they they go faster than the speed of light and they start seeing future echoes um, <laughs> and things. And you know, so they start seeing stuff from the future and and, and it's just it's, it's just loads, loads of clever ideas and great ideas. You know, just good yep. sci-fi stuff, but. You know, it's about two people who hate each other when yep. it comes down to it. Yep. And that's always good. <sighs> Red Dwarf. 17th February, The Fear. I don't remember a lot about it. I remember the advert briefly, and, I, and um, it was a period of lots of these kind of shows, but I, I didn't remember much about it. Did you remember it? I have no idea. I have no recollection of this whatsoever. It stars uh, Sir Jorah Mormont from uh, Game it of Thrones. Yeah, Ian, wow, Ian yeah, Glenn. No, I think. Yeah, Ian wow. Glenn, yeah. So the plot of this is it's the story of Carl Galton, played by Ian Glenn, the enterprising leader of a criminal gang were in a protection racket in North London. Young and ambitious, Galton represents a new breed of criminal who seeks to expand his underworld empire and takes on the old East End firms. 1980s materialism clashes with old-school London villainy as Galton rises to power. Yet his ruthlessness carries a personal cost, especially on his wife Linda, Linda and his best friend Marty. Yeah, that sounds exactly like the gangs of London. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to have to watch it now because the gangs, gangs of London's brilliant. And it just that sounds exactly like the same story as <laughs> the Gangs of London. Well, there's loads of those. It's like new up and coming new new money checks on old established gangs. Yeah, yeah, totally good. And there was a lot of that kind of eighties criminal gang drama around, wasn't there? There's loads yeah. of them. Uh, yeah, there was. Twentieth uh, of February. You bet. <laughs> hey. Do you want to bet on it? You, you want to bet? bet? You bet. <laughs> Well, you better get on it. I bet you loved this, didn't you? I did. Bruce right. Forsyth-based game show about <laughs> What's betting? not to love? I even I watched an episode in honour of this. I was like, go on, I I I'll might. watch one on YouTube. Did you watch it? Because the, the bets on the episode that I watched, um, it's, well, essentially what this is a Bruce Forsyth game show. It was an hour, an hour long. So Bruce Forsyth essentially ruled the, the gaming airwaves back then, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was very, very, right very stuff, popular. Like that. And so ITV had him on, and this is a sort of crowd-based one where they got three they get they, they get three uh, stars on, and what they do is they have to they they have a thing that they say right this we're gonna see if we can do this. So I'll give you an example in a moment, and they have to bet on it. And if they bet, they have to do a forfeit, and those forfeits are shown. The one in the episode I saw was um, uh, Barry McGuigan having to be driven around in a, uh, a very fast rally car. And he wasn't happy about that. So the the one in I saw uh, in this episode, um, there was a the bets in this episode included a group of scouts putting up a tent blindfolded in under three minutes. Could they do yeah, it? Um, a farmer attempts to identify 21 apples by sight, touch, and smell. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if he did it or not, but he might have done. Okay. And a man attempts to score more penalties than John Fashanu using his caterpillar digger. John Fashanu. John Fashanu. That's John Fashanu. Using his caterpillar digger. 
these Bizarre. bets are stupid. They're crazy. Yes, they are. No, so yeah, so um, and then at the end, there's a there's a super bet or something where they the winner of the and it's all gives to charity. It's money. I don't know. It's it's quite convoluted, but I'm not quite sure what the point of it was. It's just Bruce Forsyth doing a game show. But you yeah, know. he closed the show with his Forsyth rap. He did. With where he shouted uh, stuff, and the audience shouted, "You bet!" I think. Do you want to bet in it? You bet. Will you? Will you better get on it? You bet. So don't fret. You set out. Yeah, I can't even say it. But yeah. <laughs> So don't fret. Get set. Are you ready? You bet. Good night. God bless. I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. I'm not as good a rapper as Bruce Forsyth. Please. Few are. Streets ahead. You know, few are. He taught Eminem. No. There's Forsyth, Eminem, Ice-T. <laughs> Jay-Z. Jay-Z, yeah. So it's unbelievable, really. He's right up there. Right up there. Brucey F. Bruce F. Brucey F. Brucey F. <laughs> yeah, he would be Brucey F. Brucey F, yeah. Brucey yeah, F, yeah. yeah. That's, that's um, Russian. <laughs> Brucey F. Hello. <laughs> Do, you want to bet on it? Do you want to bet on it? <laughs> you bet. Russia bets you bet. on you. <laughs> um, I didn't see this one, though, the one you've noted here, where the woman identified members of the cast of the bill by their body parts. Yeah, there was just like a, it was really weird. There was like a nose and an ear and a bit of forehead. It was really random. Um, but you can Google But that was when Matthew Kelly did it. That wasn't Bruce Forsyth. It was, oh, he was pa. replaced. He was replaced later by the nine foot tall Matthew Kelly. <laughs> Tonight, Matthew. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to be George I'm Michael. Bill, my name is Bill Deckard. <laughs> I'm a murderer. <laughs> I'm a murderer. Well, it's it's you don't not like him, Bill. But off you go. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch that again now. Yeah, 20th of February, London's burning started. Yeah, I never got into it. No, it was for me. I didn't really get on with these. My mum and my aunties did. They liked Casualty. They liked all of this stuff. So when another emergency service had a soap opera based around it, they were in like Flynn. Yeah, because it was firemen, fire people. They're now firefighters, aren't they? But back then, you know, it was hunky firemen as such. One of them was an ex Grange Hill person, I think. Um, I think so. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. it was considered, you know, there was. I think it was actually a, a, a mini film, ITV type film type thing yes. that was very popular, and so that became a you know a TV show. It did. Um, it was, but yeah, I, just, I know, I know no more about. That. I don't think I've ever seen it actually. No, it ran honesty. from 1988 to 2002. There's a lot of fires to put out. Lot, just one every know, they week. Started, they started real fires so that they had to, you know, put, put them out. <laughs> it is. Although it's just so proper style, it's just a, with more money and fires. That's what it yep, is. Yep, it was like, it's like a crap version of Backdraft. Yeah. <laughs> to tie in with the game, or for, to not, whatever, Ugh. was this Andy Cap month? Because Andy Cap was out. The, the, the show of Andy Cap, 22nd of February. Ugh, Jesus Christ. As soon as I read in the blurb for this that it was recorded with neither a studio audience or a laugh track, I was like, what does that tell you about it? It's supposed to be a side-splitting comedy, but it ain't. It's horrible. Did you, Did you watch, watch a bit of it? I watched yeah. the, that, that bit where it's hallucinating the guy on a bike in the river at the beginning. Yeah, and then and then he, he goes home and his wife said, tells him he's leaving him. And she's feeling him. she got a plan to leave him. And I was like, God, this is, just, what is this? This isn't funny. Yeah. And then that weird, like, fourth wall breaking, talking to the camera that they do. Yeah. Just genuinely strange. And then it cuts to that weird sequence in the pub. Yeah, where they're just talking to the camera. Yeah, it's just really weird. He's just I, holding I just, up a pint of Guinness, isn't he, going, where is he? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like, just weird. It doesn't work, does it? And clearly, it, do you know what it reminded me of? of them, I think. It reminded me of the, the Simpsons bit, you know, where when whenever Andy Cap's not on screen, people should be saying, where's Andy Cap? It, like, yeah. you know, whenever Poochie's not on screen. That's literally what it reminded me of. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, they're yeah. just talking about him when he's not on screen. And then when he is, it's like, it was really bad. I couldn't believe they actually made a TV show of it. When, when, when I saw the link in our show plan, I was like, what the frigging hell? Yeah, it was just good. And when I saw that it was, what's his name playing it? The um, 
Because he's James quite a famous actor. James Bolland's quite the famous actor at that time. Well, he was because his name fresh from um, Only When I Laugh, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't make anyone laugh in this. It was only when I slowly die in a show of the most depressing <laughs> premise ever. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. If it had fallen down the stairs and broke his neck in the first episode, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> and yeah, Andy Crap. There it's we like, go. Ah, oh no, Andy's <laughs> dead. Andy's dead. Andy's dead. <laughs> Lisa needs braces. Twenty fourth of February. Gruey. 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 Don't know anything about it. No, neither do I. Never heard of it. Uh, it's a B- nineteen BBC TV children's comedy. That's never a good sign. No. About the misadventures and escapades of Stephen Gruey Grucock. Come a, on. That's an unfortunate name, isn't it? <laughs> Stephen. Gr- I mean, they would have. It's Gro. They've changed it from Grocock, haven't they? Someone said, "Call him Grocock," and somebody said, "You can't." It's like, oh, it's a Grucock then. It's like, it's the cock part that's the problem, not the Gru. <laughs> you stupid fool. Yeah, but then we can't call him Gruy. It'd be Growy. <laughs> <laughs> that's even worse, isn't it? It's just Stephen Growy Growcock. <laughs> but more biologically accurate, considering the time frame of its creation. True, a mischievous schoolboy in the Jennings and just William mold. Never, Never seen any it. of those. They're not what you're talking about. Is that, are they no. soaps? What are you talking about? I have no idea. 28th February, finally, 28th February, Helping Henry. God, I did check into that after you I said this. I watched the this. trailer. I watched the intro and I watched the best of it. There's a link I've put Weird. there. You need to, you need to link show. to it. Weird show. So Helping Henry was a United Kingdom Channel 4 children's television program, which ran for one series of 13, 50-minute episodes. It was designed as an educational show. It featured a young boy called Stephen explaining how things worked to an alien named N3 or Henry. That don't work. Don't work. Who, who was disguised as a dining room chair because his superiors <laughs> believed that static four-legged things were clearly a superior species to the two legs who bustled about them. Why about the four-legged things that bustled about them, like cats, dogs, horses, you know, not horses bustle about us, but anything, yeah. lions, anything, tigers. Anything that's not chairs. Yeah. Henry was designed and built by Fluck and Law, creates a puppet for spitting image, voiced by Jeremy Hardy. I was listening to it going, yeah. I know that voice. Yes. As you rightly said, well on to the third or fourth ounce of weed. <laughs> You're not kidding. You're not kidding. At what point when they were smoking that loco weed, did they go, Let's, why don't we have a kid talking to a chair? Because they're clearly the most in, the most intelligent species on the planet. Why not sofas? Why not tables? They've all got four legs. Why just pick on chairs? Yeah. Because did I w- did watch this. If you table shaming at its worst, <laughs> if you watch the clip, his superiors are a red and blue glowing orb things that visit him for updates on what he has learned about the human race. Mm, it's a bit like Mock and Mindy. Yes, yeah, except crap and a chair. So, it's, <laughs> except it's a chair, an animated chair version of Mock and Mindy. Yeah, that that was when the fifth or sixth ounce of weed kicked in. Jeez, jeez, oh, whoa. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, there we go. That's February. That's all the TV you get. Thank um, God. That was to help us through this uh, this crazy month. Backward TV shows being aired because there was a strike on. There was the Olympics. Ran forever until the next one, which was the Olympiad. And we could find a job. And then Red Dwarf started. So it all got good. And you bet happened. Uh, that's it. That's TV. We're going to take another break now. And we'll be back. We've got four more games to go through. I wish some of them we didn't have to go through. But have to go through them, we must. For that is our remit. We do. So we do. we'll be back after this break. Uh, we'll see you then. A 10 kilogram bag of liquor shawl sorts and dolly mixture to our show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find an amazing collection of audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David currently holds the world record on Targ for throwing a shoe. He's also the author of the fabulous book, Escape from the Commodore 64. In fact, here is a little audio bite. 
We're now on the deck of a gargantuan galactic space freighter, Reese added helpfully. Apparently the droids here, you'll meet one soon, turned against their masters. There are many decks here. Not the easiest game to beat, but not only is it worth a try... It's also one of my favourite games. Nell took in the consoles, lifts and swirling floor mats around them. She stood on one of the mats and felt her energy levels rise, happy electronic bleeps accompanying her. Wow, Nell said. I feel better already. Well, bless my barnacles. That is some good fishing. Please visit davidhearnwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com to catch a whole lot more. And we're back. We're back. We've got four more games, um, and then we are out of here. So, without further ado, let's get into these. Graham, Fire Trap. Tell us about Fire Trap. Fire Trap. Fire Trap. You say Fire yes. Trap. Tell us about. Well, that sounds that sounds like an Electric Dreams game. It must be. It must be produced must by be. Jonathan Dean, who produces everything. Coded by Mike Chilton. Graphics by Chris Gill. Musician Chris Gill. Talented fellow, Mister Gill. Um, so once again, Electric Dreams have sifted through the arcade de obscure, looking for something <laughs> random. Looking, looking for something the arcade random. Obscura. Yeah, the arcade <laughs> obscure, looking for something random in the Objet Dar arcade <laughs> to convert, and they happened upon Fire Trap, a weird old thing. This from 1986 by Data East. Oddly, it also seems based on an earlier arcade from 1980 called Crazy Climber, which was created by Nichibutsu. Our friends at Nutribusu. So there's, there's an arcade heritage to this. Okay. The premise is fairly simple for this game. And I quite like the way that the instructions had spelled it out like a news sort of broadcast. You know, the 930, yeah. the situation here is really critical now. The world's tallest building, the ED apartments burst into a ball of flames just 30 minutes ago. Hundreds of people, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea anyway. So, And it sort of goes through a timescale of like a news broadcast. I quite like that. Yes, yeah, same um, So essentially the story is a skyscraper tower block is on fire. You're a firefighter and your mission is to put the fire out. Or, get, or climb the building to the top and rescue the top person at the top as well, but potentially go up there. To do this, you don your fireproof suit and get your water cannons at the ready and then climb up the vertically scrolling burning building starting at the bottom and gradually climbing upwards, navigating the windows, traps falling and the falling debris as you do so. As you climb and ascend or ascend to the tower, you've got to rescue the people and animals that are trapped by going over them, which ties, ties a little parachute to them and floats them down to safety. You could also shoot your water cannon at the flames which are in the windows um, and those will sometimes reveal cash and bone which are little suits and the little suits allow you to do certain things little red suits give you more left and right sort of shooting ability because you can only shoot up and down when you first start or up I think just up, up and I think. down up but when you get the red suits you can shoot left and right and if you get a blue suit you get a little shield for a certain amount of time if you get an orange one it's a little jetpack which sort of shoots you up a few floors of the building very handy but don't do that if you're near the top as I discovered because you oh yeah fly, <laughs> shoot off the top of the building and it's back down to the bottom you go mm -hmm. um, so that's really the plan the windows and the buildings aren't all easy of course and some of the areas that are on this building are not climbable or passable so you need to navigate kind of around them and sort of find a route if you hit by a objects you'll fall and you if you fall too far obviously you restart at a sort of point where you almost were i'm not sure if it's exactly where you got to i'm not sure what the demarcation for that is but anyway you, you don't just start at the bottom every time it knocks, i think really, it really knocks good. you a lower like the yeah, building so you sections, go so many isn't further it? down, so you go a section yeah. down. Yeah. yeah which is pretty cool that it does it like that um you've got five lives as well so you've got five attempts to try and get to the top it isn't easy i tell you no. um if you do get to the top and rescue the final woman you jetpack her down to the ground finish that tower and it's on to the next one there are 16 towers to complete in total. Um, now, this game is as rough as ass. It is. <laughs> the graf 
The graphics are quite badly drawn on the whole, and it's quite a messy, blocky affair with really odd colours. It is. The screen is a kind of a view of the corner of the building, so it's no one say it's isometric. You're just seeing you see two faces of the uh, the building, sort of from a corner view. It's the best way to describe. I don't know if that's classed as isometric, but I suppose way, that's it the is view. kind of isometric. I think kind it is. But yeah, it is. It's it's orthograph, not orthography. Yeah, it is isometric, I think. But anyway, that's the view you get. So imagine looking at a building from the corner. One angle is one is the left hand side of the building. One end is the right side, and you have to sort of navigate your way up and around the windows that are on fire and the obstacles that are falling and things that sort of shoot shoot at you. And there's a very nice arcade logic to that. So as you do view it from that corner, you've essentially got two faces to climb. The towers are quite tall, but you do get a little mini map if you hit that shows you kind of where your progress is and how far up you've got. And you've got to kind of get all the way to the top. It's not easy to do. Um, um, and that's how far you've got to climb. The UI is simple enough here. The main window is the game, obviously. Bottom of the screen, you've got your stage points, your stage that you're at, the points you've acquired and the time you've got left. Um, and this has been constructed in a weird variant of medium res all the way through. So it has kind of an odd way of scrolling. It's not quite smooth, um, but it kind of works in the context that you're climbing. It just gets away with it. So it doesn't need to be floaty smooth. It just kind of gets, it kind of works. Kind of. Works. Yeah, no, it does. Now, as much as I hate to say it, I actually quite like this. <laughs> Don't hate to say it. Uh, the music is a variation of the arcade. It's not great, but it's okay. The graphics are pretty badly done, but they kind of work. Um, but the, what there is in all of this is a really fun game to play. And it's pretty damn addictive as well. So I look, took a look at the arcade version of this as well on YouTube. I've never, I've never come across this arcade in my entire life ever. I've never heard of it. Nope. So I went and looked at the arcade. And the arcade, this isn't actually, a, this is a pretty close approximation. Obviously, you're not going to get the fidelity of a bloody arcade game on C64. We'll get that now. No, Outland's proved it. Uh, we proved it in tests. We did. But this is a, a, a decent approximation of that. And pretty much all of the arcade is here. Yes, it's very rough. It's rough as ass, in fact. But the game is here. And the game is really, really good. It's a classic arcade setup for something. A simple premise, obstacles in the way and hazards, climb to the top. This is Donkey Kong in a different format, really, in, in a sort of unusual yeah, way. Instead yeah, of, it's a good call, the barrels coming at you. It's, it's to, but it's, it's that kind of... And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with Donkey Kong and there's nothing wrong with this. I really, really like this. Now, you're never going to love this conversion. You're not. You're going to look at it and go, God, the graphics are blocky, medium res. Ah! And especially at the price, again, it's full price. But this, there's something about this game. I was playing this for ages. I really got into it. I, I couldn't tell you why, but I think that's that's the hook of something. And it made me realise, actually, that a bloody good idea in an arcade is a bloody good idea when it's converted. Now, we've said average begets average many times, and there's been a lot of that. This is this is not an average arcade game. I've never heard of it, but what I'd seen is a simple arcade. And I think even the arcade, you have to climb by literally moving the, the left and right. You've got two joysticks, I think. And you have to operate oh, yeah. the left, right, left, right, I think. Because it's if you look at the arcade on YouTube, it's, there's a little sort of intro screen, intro bit. And this sort of it indicates that that might be the way. Now, I've never seen the arcade and I've never played it and never probably will. So I'd, someone yeah. may be able to confirm that. However, that aside, the control system here, obviously, it's the joystick and the fire button to squirt your water things and stuff like that. Other than that, you're just climbing. It keeps everything simple. It's a simple logic to this. It's not too punitive. You don't die and start at the bottom. It's not army moves hard. So you don't die. You, you do stand a chance of getting up that tower. If you get up to the tower with the, with the without losing a life, which I can't imagine you'd do, but you might, you know, it, it has that kind of appeal. It has, the ne- it has the nebulous type appeal about tower things. It's just games that do this, this simple premise, they work. And yes, it's graph- graphics are rough around the edges and the audio is not amazing, but they've got the 
core game right and it just it maybe it lacks the polish okay but i really like this i thought it was a great game and one of the best arcade versions we've come across in terms of capturing the arcade's playability completely and it being a whole lot of bloody fun i was battling away at that tower for ages what about you <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not going to add much to that the only thing i would say is that they've condensed the view haven't they because in the arcade one side of the building takes up the whole screen doesn't it and then it sort of scrolls across to the, I, I to think the, so. To the right I, I, so again to the, to the so it's it's wider it's yeah, wider it on the arcade be. and at the one side takes up the entire screen then when you flip to the you know from left to right it scrolls across to the right hand side or flicks I, across i think so sure. yeah it's it's certainly it's it's, it's so an it's approximation it's of it yeah, yeah so yeah, the condense yeah, it yeah. down so to, to just scrolls upwards rather than having to scroll it left and right which is fair enough yeah so it's another data east arcade conversion via electric dreams it's an odd and obscure one for certain i've never heard of it either never heard of it never played it never seen it anywhere but it is more proof that anything that could be licensed and converted would be licensed and converted as you said, you play as the heroic fireman, sent in to climb the outside of the burning skyscrapers, a strangely isometric vertical climber. It's, it's almost, I think it's almost a very good game. There's a few things that let it down, just some annoying and some inconveniences for the player. It's, I thought it was pretty well made. It's a fast pace. It's got decent scrolling. I think the scrolling, as you said, it works fine. You don't notice it. It just works. It's all right. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it does because you're climbing, so I think it, it just gets away with it. And, yeah. and I wasn't really focusing on it, to be honest. No, exactly. It's got responsive controls. I thought the music burbles along in the background. I quite like the music, actually. Um, it's kind of a weird, it's not it's got kind of one of those sort of tense tunes i don't know how to sort of describe it do you know what i mean it's kind of one of those one of them tunes that sort of burbles along but keeps the feeling of sort of tension going it's quite good uh the visuals have said they're a little basic i won't say much more on them i think you've adequately (laughs) described what they look like they do the job it's easy it's easy to see what's going on though i thought so yeah yeah it is yeah so that's that's always good it communicates what you can do quite easily quite quickly visually very well rescuing dogs and people and send them flying out on parachutes is pleasurable it's it's fun you know it puts a little smile on your face yeah um the ability to shoot the fires and the falling objects give you some degree of protection i did find though it's easy to push the falling objects just out of range of projectile but still in line with you so they'll hit you on the way down that's a bit annoying and there's also a tendency for fires to break out of windows when you're in front of them yeah Um, that does happen uh and there's nothing you can do to avoid losing a life so that's a bit annoying still as arcade conversions go though this is certainly one of the better ones we've seen being something something as we said the machine can replicate something the c64 and the 8-bit machines they can it can do it you know it's simple vertical scrolling going upwards simple premise the simple premise it's easy to understand to get into there's no you know like you said the story is well presented in that new style but it's easy to understand climb you know okay put the fires out it gets a bit repetitive after a while as most simple arcade games do and it does feel unfair at times like i said but it's and it's got that arcade level of difficulty this is tricky bloody game this really hard especially if you go up a, a, a route and then you get you blocked off you're like ah oh, i've got to climb down now dead annoying is it worth 9.99 maybe maybe not i don't know it's a solid port fair bit of fun to play but i don't know you probably like it yeah i think i yeah, I think you've liked it more than I did, but uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it. I think it's a decent decent game. It's fun. Mm, that's all. Yeah. That's all you need. I liked it sometimes. Surprised? It actually surprised me. I didn't think I would, but I did. No, well, I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea. No, so, same. So I was like, this could be crap. This could be another Data East nightmare. Or luckily, it wasn't. So fair play. This is a decent little conversion. Good stuff. Just hard. All right. Our next F game. Let's move into it. Not as hard as this one, though. Not as hard as this one, because this is Freddy Hardest. 
Oh, God. Okay, let's start with Freddy Hardest. This is from Imagine. It's 8.95, and it's some of the team uh, that brought us the Game Over series. I think the Game Over 2, um, and, it, and the work might work on Game Over, some other bits and bobs. It comes Freddy Hardest. This is the story of the universe's most irreverent playboy, playboy and all-round lounge lizard. After getting a little too tanked up at his last soiree, Freddy takes to the stars in his spaceship. Five sheets to the wind and attempts to navigate a nearby meteor shower, he crashes his craft into one of them, loses control, and plummets onto the nearby moon of the planet Ternat, the home base of the enemy Kaldar. Unlucky. However, That's luckily, unlucky. Fr- Freddy is also one of the most intelligent members of the sidereal Free Planet Confederation's SPEA Agency Service of Counter Espionage. Of course he is. <laughs> He doesn't sound very intelligent, I have to say. No. Anyway, he just sets out to destroy the enemy base and get home in time for cornflakes, because that's what he's got to do. This was coded by Fernando Jimenez, and the graphics were by Javier Cubedo. <laughs> Upon loading, we have a rather nondescript tune and the option to start the game or redefine our keys. Being an interstellar playboy, I opt to jump straight in with my joystick. Why would I not? After enduring the intro sequence, which you will see a lot... Quite a few of, times. ...of Freddy's ship crashing into the nearby moon, the game reveals itself as a left-to-right shooter and jumper as Freddy must navigate his way over the moon's landscape that is dotted with bubbling craters and deathly pits, whilst also avoiding the constantly spawning enemies that float through the skies or run and slither along the ground. The only way Freddy can defend himself and navigate this terrain is with a mighty bound. Another one. A, another mighty bound, which you can't do anything. Once you're in that mighty bound... You better have done it right. A, you can also do a leaping kick to press the fire button, or you can crouch and then press the fire button, which allows you to blast your laser. Why you can't shoot your laser stood up, I don't know. The screen is split into Oy. two. <laughs> the screen is split into two, with the top two thirds taken up with the game itself and the bottom being the UI. There's must, nothing much to note there in the UI. There's a pointless picture of Freddy in the bottom uh, right-hand corner, left-hand corner, I can't remember. Left-hand corner, I think. Then the number of lives, the power left in your laser, a pointless few dots your score, and then a big empty space for reasons. Freddy must survive the outdoor section to make it to the second section. Like Game Over, there was that first section, then the second section, like Army yeah. Moves, that first section. So this is It's in that mould. It's in that mould of those games. If you do make it there, you won't. Absolutely no chance. Because it's, it's so hard. Although, to be fair, I did watch a full playthrough by one of our Patreons, AL82Retro, who's got a full playthrough of this on his YouTube Wowza. channel. And uh, I was watching it going, good lord, how long did it take you to do this? <laughs> Quite long, I imagine. So it's possible, but it looks stupidly hard. If you do make it here, you won't, though. Not, not any normal person. Um, not any normal game player. You must have superhuman skills to get here. You're given a code to access it, and the section is loaded separately. In this final section, Freddy must steal um, one of four colour-coded spaceships by finding the right captain's log. You find the nuclear energy cells and the hyperdrive instructions to escape. Uh, it's all played out in a more colourful version of the game V. It looks like V. Um, and is just as enjoyable. Take from that what you will. So, two games for the price of one again, but neither is very good because it's all just too bloody hard. It's the same problem we saw with other games of this ilk. Army moves and game over. There's no consideration for difficulty and the lackluster gameplay and rather boring fields of the game do not enthuse you to try and get past that first section or get any better at it. The visuals, they like they look like game over. They look, they're in that style. They're colourful in, in lots of blues and greys. They're nicely drawn. They're okay. The animation's pretty good. The monsters are weird. They're okay. They're a tad medium resin blocky at times. Some nice bubbly stuff. The landscape's quite nice. You know, the sprite what you're crashing on. Visually, it's all right. Use of colour is good. But it's like I said, it's just like those other games we looked at by these guys. They just have a look and a feel and a design ethos that is simply not player friendly. And that doesn't that makes sorry it does nothing to make you want to persevere with the game it's a bit of a shame really the second half is at least a bit different and looks relatively okay you know you, you so that v style where you're running around multi-level things trying to
trying to find stuff and shoot things. So it just looks like V, so you know what to expect from that. But the demands of the first half are so stupid and off-putting, you'll give up long before you get anywhere near it. With some tweaking of the level design, without the constant spawning of enemies, this could have been okay. But it's just tailored far too much towards the difficulty, difficult end of the spectrum. Even back then, I was just put off these kinds of games, and and no, and that was with you know 15, 16 year old reflexes of you know lightning. Um, but here now, it's just no chance. I've just got no chance. So I'm just like, I'm not bothering. Too hard. It's just badly designed. It's no, you know, you just stood at waiting at an edge, waiting to jump, and just constantly spawning spanners in the air. I didn't know what they were, or nuts, or bolts, whatever they were. What were they? Do you know? Don't they're know. Just, they just look it's like just stupid shit. Yeah, it's just weird crap just spawning massively in the air, which you can't jump, because once you jump, you can't shoot. It's a pain in the ass. But it also did make me think, do they know that the the V, V blueprint for games, is actually pretty crap? So they hide it behind these impossible sections so you never see it. So they know that it's rubbish. So like in V, they hide it behind that stupid like code you've got to break. Because they know that the rest of the game, that actual blueprint for game design is boring. So maybe that's what the whole point is here. I didn't like this. It's too hard. It's just, you know, it's just another one of their kind of games. And, you know, it's well made, I suppose, and it runs and there's no bugs and everything works as it should do. But it's it's so unfriendly and it's so unpleasant to play in that respect. I just can't get on with these sort of things. It's just the difficulty levels. It's just unfairly stupid. Stupid. And so Freddy Hardis was just too hard for me, I'm afraid. What about you? Same, too bloody hard. That was my first sentence. It looks quite good, doesn't it? Freddy yeah. Hardis. I mean, yeah. that's, it sounds a, kind of less interesting, but it does kind of look the part. Quite cartoon-like in its sort of presentation. But the game's just impossible. Actually impossible. I could yeah. barely get across the first part of the very first screen, trying to jump, get passed onto that little level that, thing that was going up and down, which I hate those things in games anyway. Yeah, um, Game Over had that as well, didn't it? I mean, can I'm you imagine if, the, if, can you imagine if you made Mario this hard? It would it wouldn't have been the most successful game in the world, would it? One of the most no. successful games of all time. No. No, exactly. The controls don't help this either, do they? Let me shoot when I jump. If you're going to have obstacles in the air yes. that I can't avoid when I jump, let me shoot them. Let me shoot when I when I want to, actually. If I'm going to kick, make it happen fast. Yep. It's the slowest kicker in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like stupid. So and because of those things, you're disadvantaged in every way that you can be. So you either make the shooting faster, you make me kick faster, you make me able to do and kick and do you know lightning fast things a la kung fu master type thing you don't feel overwhelmed in kung fu master even though you've got loads of people coming at you because you can spin and kick and punch really fast yeah imagine if it was at this speed no no so if you can't if you don't allow me to jump and and you're going to give me a bound and you take away my ability to really um in fact you are disadvantaging me in every way in this game and then put platforms in there that i've got to land on that are stupidly tiny and then put obstacles in the way of them what's the point what's the point even going to the extent of making a level two when you don't feel well that very few people will ever see it apart from obvious you know crazy good players like AL82. Anyway, um, so I thought this this every game rule book around difficulty has been shit on for this. And what you end <laughs> what you end up with is just plain frustrating. Um Freddy Hardest, definitely. But it isn't any fun, is it, to be that? So, no thanks. Go away. Ten quid as well. Nine quid. No, mm. thank you. No, nah, it's, weird, it's weird as well that it's Imagine that put this out. Because it's, it's yeah, obviously they're owned weird. by Ocean, aren't they? But Yeah. But, um, uh, back of a cupboard, I reckon. Fine. Finish it off. Get it out there. Might make a few quid. Yeah, rubbish. Yeah. Well, pretty rubbish, but rubbish. Yes, indeed. There's Freddie Hardest. Move on. Let's move on from that. It's Graham. <laughs> you got this one tell us what it's like to go through the trap door well do you know what uh, let me start off by just reminding you what was the key lyric in the original trap door song don't, the key lyric was don't you open that trap, trap door. door yeah because there's something down there so dun, dun, why create dun, dun, a game dun. where the first thing you do is go through the trap door 
anyway, or whatever. This is by Don Priestley again, using the Don Priestley engine. So you know what it's going to look like. Looks like all the other Don Priestley games. On the back of the box, we have this. Burke is back. And he's getting ready to make the fearsome, awesome, totally terrifying expedition down through the trapdoor. Why? Don't... Anyway, it doesn't matter. If you have seen the creepy critters that live down there, you may well wonder why. Yes. But the truth is he has no choice. Boney has been captured and taken down into the gloomy depth. So Burke and little Drut must go to the rescue, no matter what nasties they come up against. And what about all those potions lying around? just waiting to be drunk could they be helpful could they be could they mean trouble or could they even cause constant ponging ponging yeah, I think, you know, passing breezes. Um, <laughs> speed, skill, and daring will be necessary to get out alive. So Burke is about to carry out another task. This is playing the game. Burke is about to carry out another task for his master, the bad-tempered thing, when his faithful companion, Bony, snatched from under his very nose by an awful apparition that appears from beneath the dreaded trapdoor. Playing the part of the fearless Burke and his minuscule sidekick, Drutt, you must boldly go forth on a rescue mission and face the unknown perils that lurk below. That's the premise of the game. Back of the box, done, dusted. This game looks like trapdoor. It looks like Don Priestley's games. So giant, giant big flicky flicky kind of graphics cartoon-esque looking slow ploddy movement this is a little bit faster i think a little bit because there's basically nothing on the screen most of the time apart from some of the scenery Mm -hmm. and so it's that kind of approach to it again and this is odd this this is like a step backwards for the trapdoor type games because the first game i didn't i don't remember liking it massively but i don't remember hating it either i just remember thinking it was a bit slow and a bit ploddy and i think there was logic traps in there that made it frustrating but i didn't hate hate it not as much as i hated this so here we go on another adventure with burke um this time instead of following the clear guidance from the first game which you you don't you don't open the trapdoor. You open the trapdoor. Bernie's kidnapped and off you go. You actually control Burke and Drutt in this. You switch between them. You control them both with the joystick. I say control. That's stretching it with Drutt a little <laughs> bit, isn't it? Um, I'd say that you 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 provide him with a potential direction. <laughs> Which he is likely to just ignore. Yeah, it does most of the time. So you actually control Burke, really, and not so much Drutt. But the idea is that you switch between them because between the two of them, you have puzzles to solve and some things Burke can do and some things Drutt can do. I never came across any of the things that either of them could do because the puzzles are vague. Um, yeah. And the idea is you wander around. There's, I think, four regions to explore. In those regions, you've got a series of puddles, puzzles and creatures that you've got to deal with along the way. You've got to open some locked doors, which give access to other regions. There's things you could fall through and scattered around. There's sweets and toadstools and things you can eat which give Burke some kind of characteristics which I'm not familiar with I didn't get into this I far into the game to figure out what that even meant progress is apparently made when you use the two characters together something which I doubt that you'll do because the very minute you control drop and move him to a position, he just go as soon as you switch to Burke, he just chases off after worms and then comes back to you. So he just will always find his way back to you no matter where you are. Even if you're at the bottom of a bottomless pit, Drup will come strutting back to you at some point. Mm-hmm. So the premise of the game is that it doesn't control very well. It's kind of a ploddy pace as well. So it's not fast or it's not terribly slow, slow, but it's not a game that's going to thrill you with its speed or anything like that. It's very dull. The graphics here are the usual Don Priestley stuff. So they kind of look like they're supposed to, but they have that weird flickeriness I don't like about them. But this the quiet dullness to this game, which belies the anarchic origins of the original material. It's even quieter and more dull than the original Trapdoor was, if that's actually possible. <laughs> At least that had periodic intervention from the, you know, the the bad tempered thing or whatever it's called. This doesn't have any of that. It's just it's kind of silent. It's like it's like a, a really weird silent dull movie version with the occasional blip and blop of sound, but nothing that's going to really make you feel like you're doing anything other than navigating a flicky blue blob around pointlessly. Um I don't know what this really is 
for this game. I'm guessing it's popular on other platforms, so I think maybe this is a conversion for convenience. I, I don't feel that this, there's, a, there's any passion for this. I don't think there's a market for it on the C64, and it's not playing to any strengths of anything. It's just, it lacks any fun or excitement of any kind. The controls interfere with the play so much that it makes it feel pointless. And the puzzle's so obscure, and dr- it's such a pain in the ass to control, that just no, 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 no. This game must never be. So for eight ninety five, nah, not for me. Through the trap door, it was through the crap door. And yes, it's obvious I'm taking that low hanging fruit, and I'm having a good old, good old. I'm making a pie with it. You make my last line almost word for word. <laughs> Damn you! I'll come up with a better one. It'll be uh... anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was actually it's another turd from the ass of five way five way software. Yeah, you remember five way software? Unfortunately, Adv- uh, astonishing adventures of Mister Weems, Gunboat, Cat Trap, Strike Force Cobra. Yeah. yeah, and this. And now this. So they did the conversion. Uh, it's slow, uncontrollable, far slower than the Spectrum version, which makes an already twitchy and tumor-inducing game even worse. Through the Trapdoor is another attempt at the big characters waddling around adventures that Mr. Priestley likes to do. But the sheer obtuse and fiddly nature of the puzzles and just navigating the game make it very unenjoyable to do so. Burke is so slow in this version as to be almost somnambulistic, and yep. Drut is clearly mashed off his massive eyeballs. There must be something <laughs> in those worms he keeps guzzling down. So remember, they sell the, they sell the cocktail in, in uh, the nightclub spiders called the wiggly worm one of, the, I don't remember right, it, one of those with jelly worms in it that soaked up all the alcohol and when you glug it and eat the worm you're almost just instantly hammered um, yeah. I can only assume that is what Drut is constantly doing um, because there must be something in those worms there must be there's nothing enjoyable yeah, here right. neither in the sound visuals or the lack of sound visuals or playability aspect of the game it's a true stinker it reminds me of what I flush through my trapdoor every morning after a wiggly worm <laughs> or two yeah through the trapdoor poo poo the trapdoor whatever <laughs> <laughs> poo the crap door poo the crap door it, I, I've written I know it's easy to be hell with it I'm having it <laughs> it's, yeah. it's all, all this was dreadful I mean, trying to control Drut was such and like you don't even I don't even know you're supposed to be walking on the floor or the bit above the floor because you just randomly change and I know they picked that in Zappa as well they picked out the fact that there's a clear issue with it's the where the sprite thing sits because sometimes it actually blocks you from progressing into places yeah, and but that, that happens stupid. in the Spectrum version as well because I was watching that on YouTube so it's yeah. just it's just badly designed and badly I don't know what, what he was don't, thinking no, of don't this. you go be too critical of the Don Priestley engine it's great at making Don Priestley games <laughs> It's, it's it's absolutely if you want massive things slowly moving around boringly then you know that's your engine to license even these days the uh, unreal engine and unity is in fear of the priestly engine when it comes to massive things wobbling about slowly oh, i'm dear. sorry oh, i'm sure he makes great sorry games, don sorry don the 64 versions are just not they're not they're not the home for these games no well no well no no is the home for this crappy thing just i don't know why it exists I don't, I don't get it. It's not, it's not fun. It's not even the sort of adventure that happened in the TV show Trapdoor. They never no. went down the Trapdoor. That's the whole damn point. You no, know, at least in the, the first game, Trapdoor, you were making meals for the, the thing upstairs, well, yeah. which is what you were doing yeah, exactly. in, the, in, in the show. And that made sense. And the whole point in the show was that things came out of the Trapdoor and they had to deal with it. Not you went into the Trapdoor because someone got kidnapped. Yeah. Even the premise is kind of moribund for a kid's show, isn't it? Yeah. Kidnap and, and imprisonments. They're not fun things for any kind of blob to investigate. <laughs> No, especially one that's off his tit, a small yellow blob <laughs> off his eyeballs. Aye. God, there's so much coke and weed in this episode. It's beyond there belief. There is, honestly, there is definitely <laughs> between the eye and bloody through the trap door and God knows bone cruncher. And then the TV, me. the TV episodes we had to look at. Absolutely, blimey! It's just goodness. It's the eighties, though, wasn't it? It Late was, 80s. yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's move into our last one. We've got one game left. 
And uh, the other bookend is here. So we've got the other football game that we spoke about at the start. And this is, well, the UK version is Gary Lineker's Superstar Soccer. Here we go. Um, it is. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Gary Lineker. Hey, dun, hey, dun, boy, dun, pass to the right. Seaman. Pass to the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, anyway, Superstar Soccer. This is nine ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine on disc. It's got two different scores, this as well. 74% for the disc version, 58 for the tape version. I can, I can imagine exactly I can imagine, why. Yeah, exactly why. We'll come to it in a bit, but we'll, we'll have a look at this anyway. And for all intents and purposes, we're looking at the disc version because that's the version where you're going to get hold of these days. You yep, know, yep, so, yep. so let's talk about the disc version. Do you remember when we reviewed Superstar Ice Hockey and you said... There we go. <laughs> and you said that if you turned the pitch green and got rid of the stick, you'd have a football game. Yeah. Well, there you are, because that's is. exactly what this <laughs> is. Uh, from the same people at Mindscape, and it was released the previous year, I think in the US, as Superstar Soccer. Gremlin Graphics have picked this up and slapped Gary Lineker on the front cover, although he's nowhere to be seen in the game by the looks of things. Although maybe <laughs> he's actually... In, I think you, you know, who was he playing for at this point? Was it Barcelona or Tottenham? I think it was Barcelona. And as we don't have any European sides in it, he's nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Never, never even occurred to me, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he was he started at Leicester. I think uh, did he come? I think he came back and played at Tottenham after at Barcelona. I can't remember his career, but anyway, anyway, he definitely didn't play for Scunthorpe. I can know that much. He didn't play for Scunthorpe. That was Ian both. No, so I said he definitely didn't play for Scunthorpe. <laughs> no, he didn't. No. Anyway, our second footy game of the week brought to you behind the people behind Ice Hockey Superstar Indoor. So, sorry. Ice hockey, superstar indoor sports, that ping pong game. So it's Ed yep. Ringler, Simon Finch, Michael Goodwin, and John A. Fitzpatrick on design, graphics, uh, sound, and all that kind of thing. This is very much in the style of ice hockey. In fact, if it was made by anyone else, it would be uh, it would be litigious <laughs> because yep. it looks exactly the same. Yeah, like I said, originally released as just superstar soccer. This review, I actually did look up both of them because the version of Gary Lineker that I had seemed to be cracked and frozen in the middle of a game. So I went and just looked at the superstar soccer version, which had the full menus and everything. It was the start of a league game, so I don't think much was missed anyway. In the full version, after the Mindscape logo and intro and a lot of loading, this game is slow. Slow. Slow on disc. We get a menu screen asking us to enter our name for the club and then we get into it. Here we can view the league, the team history, the cup results, the game scores. These football games this week, they like their options and stuff, so it's good stuff. Apparently just... The, the divisions, we can also recruit a player, trade a player, which is weird and I think shows its American roots because that's much more of a... Yep. American football, baseball ice type, hockey type, type, ice thing. Hockey type of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you can improve the team. Which if you do, you just get. You says how much do you want to spend on it? You go whatever. You get a message that your team has improved. Doesn't say how or in what way. Just it does that improved. in the ice hockey game? <laughs> just improved. We improved them. So, in fact, that's the same as the ice hockey game and the American football game. The one point that we saw that looks a bit like this as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can set your team up. You can start a new league or, or go and play the next game. So, so let's do that. Here we get the usual pre-match mindscape options screen. We you can pick your colours so you've got home and away colours for each team select if you want the outfield player like ice hockey you only control one player in this to be player one whether you want the goalie to be player two or the computer and whether you want the coach to be controlled by the player or the computer after that you start the game more loading happens lots of loading and then the football starts but it doesn't start yet because you, then you've got your uh, like in the ice hockey game you get to, you've got your options your stats sorry your strategy screen should we say your stat whatever you want to call it and you get to pick your defensive and attacking tactics and whether you want any subs which is odd since you've just started the, you've not started the game yet but there you go um, and then you're into the game now first impressions of this are pretty decent it's got a standard side on view a la match 
day two, international soccer and so on. And, and like match day, I think it's seven aside. Was it seven aside or six aside? Yeah, six, I think. I don't know. I think Something I think, like that. Six or seven aside. But the pace in this is far greater than what we saw in match day two. It's much it faster, this. The ball pings about well, and you have a decent set of controls at your disposal. As noted, as in ice hockey, you only control one person throughout the entire game. But I did feel that because of the bigger pitch space on this, it didn't feel as bad as it did in ice hockey. There was something better. There was no, something, maybe no. because I know football a bit better. I felt that this, it felt it worked a bit better in this for some reason. So, and the, the camera followed, like I said, followed the puck. This follows the ball. So it's possible to be off, off screen for some time. You get used to it. You, if you know where you are, just keep running towards the screen so you come back on. Uh, movement is the usual eight way. Uh, but if you do not have the ball, holding the fire button down makes you sprint. Now, that's the first time I think we've seen that in a football game to have two Maybe, speeds. Yeah, actually. I don't think we've seen anything. I don't think we've seen another game where if you hold it down and when you're not, not in control, you sprint. No, I don't think you um, So that's quite nice. To shoot, you hold down the fire button and you've got to pay attention to the meter at the top of the screen that is going back and forth. So kind of like a kickometer we saw in match day two. It's weird how these two games kind of come along and do similar sort of things. Uh, so this, but this one's a bit different. You've kind of got this bar going back and forth between a, there's an arrow at one side pointing up and an arrow at one side pointing down. And what this is, is the direction of the shot towards the, the goal. So essentially it's which, so if you let go of the, let go and the bar is nearer the downward arrow, it will aim towards the downward part of the pitch to the bottom of the screen. It's going to aim downwards. If it's near the upper arrow, it'll aim upwards. And the closer it is to the upper arrow, the more the angle is. So if you just want it slightly, slightly above you, you know, so if you're running right to left and you're aiming that, your player's facing to the right, you want it to go up slightly. You just want it just beyond as it go, as it's going towards the upper arrow and you'll sort of aim, aim it that way. So that's quite nice, actually. It's intuitive once you get the hang of it um, because you, you can just hold down the fire button and just let go and when it's in the right place and you know you can, you can actually get some aim on your shots that's again not something i think we've seen before um in a game really so that's quite a nice mm. nice touch there are other nice touches as well players get injured forcing substitutions i've one of my players get injured got, got tackled and injured and, and then okay free kicks get fouled as well so they can happen as well but there are some issues with it too like i said about ice hockey the goalies are next to useless <laughs> And, and I mean, unfortunately, absolutely useless. They're just awful. They throw the, they'll dive, whatever. They throw the ball to nowhere. They move out of the way of shots. And there's a strange rule that if they hold onto the ball too long, the effect, the uh, the offense gets a corner. That's so weird. the attackers get a corner, which I don't think happens. It would be in back then. I think if you held onto it for more than four seconds, you got an indirect free kick with the rules back then. But not in this. It's a corner. Don't ask. Especially annoying as you don't control them. <laughs> So sometimes they'll just give away a, and they take no notice of what you are doing, where your player has run to. You may be running in a standing space and they'll just throw it to the other side right into one of their other players. So that's annoying. The other issue is that despite all the detail around the game, the actual football bears no resemblance to an actual game of football. It feels really arcadey. It feels like an arcade variant of it. Mm. Um, something along the lines of something like Virtuous Striker by Sega somewhere down the line, that 3D version, which it feels much more arcadey. Goals ping in everywhere. It's stupid the amount of goals that go in. I scored from my own penalty box, <laughs> which is stupid. Overhead kicks from goal kicks fly into the top corner. Passes are fast. Shots can happen at any point, no matter which way you're facing. It's a weird and odd combination of arcade and simulation. And when games end up with double-digit scores, I mean, I think I ended up something like about 22-16 at some point. Um <laughs> Because it's crazy. Any sense of realism goes out the window. So it's speedy and odd. And if you take it in that light and don't go in expecting full-on realism, you probably have a good time with this. There's some nice animations and everything moves along quickly. The the graphics, the player graphics, they're okay. They're like, they're a bit, they're like the uh, ones we saw in ice hockey. They're not brilliant. They're okay. The animation's okay. There's some nice bits. I like the animation when they do the um, overhead kicks. That's quite nice. But they happen all the time. All the time. It's kind of strange. And 
the need for tactics at every whistle blow gets annoying after a while. I wish you could just sort of set it for the half. We're just going to be attacking or whatever. But as far as C64 football games go, certainly one of the better ones we've looked at. Is it better than better than Match Day 2? It's hard to compare them because it's different. Match Day 2, I think, is going for the more the slower, more simulation, realistic end of the spectrum. This is just arcadey. And I think this shows its American roots, I think, whereas the Match Day 2 is British. And I think that the thing what you, you used to hear from American people is that football was boring or soccer was dull. You know, you could have play for 90 minutes and it ended nil-nil and no one liked that. And that's why soccer would never really got popular in America very long for, for quite a while. They just thought it was boring. American football, mm. baseball, basketball. Basketball is what, 120 to 118 usually. Is, yeah, yeah, big know, scores. They like massive scores. American football is, you know, 40-odd to 30-odd. So football comes along and it's like nil-nil after 90 minutes in the mud. Like, well, <laughs> <laughs> that don't work. It's true. So I think... This is this has got some of that. Let's make it more, you know, high scoring and a bit more interesting than that. And I think that's part of it. So if you want that, then there's a decent football game here. It's fast, it's speedy, it plays decently. There's some nice control mechanisms, and it's and it's fun. And in two player, I imagine it's quite a lot of fun because it'd just be stupid and you'd just be like, who can score from the strangest place? Because the goal is useless, so you're going to score from everywhere. So it really just depends on what you want from a football game. But it's good. I did like it. It's just different. What about you? Uh, yeah, what can you say? Looked like the hockey game, didn't it? Only with a different sport. Same kind of crazy option controls, really, with some kind of football league added, I guess. I noted that there were, I'd laughed actually, that there were teams in the city such as Doncaster, Scunthorpe and Grimsby. Yeah, well, it's, it's our... a, well, that's the thing. It's all four divisions of the uh, English thingy. So yeah, it does just, have you know, that. Just Cause... looking at them, like setting the, setting the benchmark pretty low there. <laughs> yeah, but there you go. <laughs> I decided on Grimsby versus Swansea for no yeah. reason whatsoever. I just thought, why not? Um, chose my options and then settled in for the night while it loaded. <laughs> Um, just <laughs> made, a cup of coke, made, a, made a cup of cocoa got toasty I grew a beard um <laughs> it was I, I had it on warp and it took a million years i had to think how long this took back on an actual 1541 oh. c drive you'd have been clacking and buzzing they'd have been doing that for ages um but the game did play fast but it was eerily silent as well apart from when you scored or when somebody scored which happens a lot which sounded like a missile strike yeah um and the boying of the football every now and again, which was really off-putting. But like you say, again, you have to sort of take what you get for what you get, right? This was too void of atmosphere, but it did have the speed. It had plenty of options, albeit that they were kind of weird options. Yes, yeah. But options are options. And like you said, it played weirdly. And I, I'm not sure quite where it sat with me because when I play these sort of games, I, I'm just I don't really like football games anyway. So I'm kind of kind of coming at them with, okay, so if, I'm not, if I wanted to just play this game, I'm just going to try and get it casually again, a casual player, come in. This one was a little bit more, an, an easier in to play. Yes, absolutely. But I, think, but, I, but I think that comes at a cost of a certain type of football game playing fan isn't really going to like some of the silliness. Like you said, 25-6 or whatever it was, I was think that that team won by in this game. Because you can literally score by, by accident. Now, a couple of occasions, I, I kicked the ball. It went completely the wrong way to what I was actually thinking it was going to do. And, and it went in. I'm like, how did that even happen? Yeah, if you hold down the fire button to shoot, you'll shoot straight at goal yeah, no matter just, which and way just, and you're facing. I get it, I get it. You know, that's the kind of World Cup mentality. You know, the, Bra- the way Brazil used to play back in the 80s was just shoot from anywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, and I guess, and in that sense, I suppose I could see that why it got the seventy four percent. It's not a great, it's not a great football game for its strategy, and it's it's an okay football game to play. But I suppose it's just a, perhaps it's an easier in than Match Day. But Match Day is a much more thorough version of football than you're going to get in this. I don't know. The, the, it's not a terrible game. I mean, it's it's certainly well made. I'll give it that. You know, the construction yeah. of it is. But the ice hockey game was well made, and we just the only criticism we had of that was that you need to be into ice hockey. I think this is this is a, they've tried to soften that 
little bit to try and make it a bit more approachable. Putting Gary, Gary Lineker on the front, he's neither here nor there. They may as well not bothered. Yes, yeah, weird. Um, but hey ho, it's another football game. It isn't a bad one though. And now you've got three in the in the league, haven't you? You've got this. You've got match day and you've got international soccer still yeah I don't know I still think it's, international soccer still hangs in there a bit doesn't it it's crazy but it, it does, does. But the two, it two that it I think, bad. the two that I think we've got coming up we've got Emily Hughes's soccer which is which I think a lot of people say is the best and we've also got Micropro soccer at some point yeah yeah we have got those and we've got those to look forward to so then we'll look, see what they come up like um, again it, like I said with the match day it wasn't really till the Amiga when and Sensible Soccer really where it started to become more of a playable thing for me but that said this isn't a terrible football game and it's certainly one of the better games we've played for this particular episode of the podcast as well which says a lot i think i think i, f- I found this as a casual player an easier in but that isn't saying a lot because I, I wouldn't have played either of this or match day really no, so it's a more entertaining game because of the stupid scores if you just want a bit of a laugh and get a giggle with yeah. you you know if it's just you and your mate going right let's have a quick game yeah Ma- match day requires more of the player this is just charge around shoot from you know like i said i scored from my own penalty box shoot from anywhere who cares overhead yeah. kicks from goal kicks it doesn't matter it makes no sense makes no sense no 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 i think it's just one for the like you said for people that just want a, a game of football and you know not to worry about the the complexity of the game and everything else then gary Lineker's. if you want to get a bit more inside of a two-player or you know co-op type game and get into the accept the slowness of it but match day two is probably going to be where your compass is pointing so yeah probably they're both, they're both good football games if you like that kind of yeah. thing and just to say the tape version my understanding is that you pick two teams and play it loads the game in and that's it there's no league right. there's no cup and then you have to reset it and reload and pick different teams if you want another game so that's why the tape version got knocked down to 58 percent. makes sense makes it sense. does which that's would would so that's you just left with the game itself which i suppose if all you wanted was a game of footy but it's slow slow to load so god knows but yeah, so interesting interesting thing but i found what i found interesting about this as you know there is the slap a license on it slap it's not even in it it's not even mentioned in it no, no his, his team's just... not even in it well, it's going to sell it to kids, isn't it? Essentially. Yeah, this, it is. Match day two, if they'd have called it Gary Lineker's match day two, they'd have probably sold an extra 100,000 or something. You know, probably. he was a big name, wasn't he, back then? Yeah, probably, I yeah. What, I don't know what his currency is now, other than what he sells for crisps and that. But He's, he's um, the highest paid um, presenter on BBC. Is he? Yeah. No wonder he's got crisps named after him. He's on a contract of 1.75 million or something a year. Well, it was the ill-fated uh, Sultan Lineker crisps, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was. Walkers produced salt and linica, and then they were going to do salty semen, and it all went wrong. <laughs> it all went wrong. <laughs> cheese and Beardsley. <laughs> yeah. If there was a, there was a cheese and something. I can't remember the name of the footballer was, but there was one. Uh, yeah, it have to be yeah. cheese and Beardsley. It's cheese and onion. I can't. I can't think. I'm trying to think of a football that rhymes with onion. There was there was salt and linica. Oh, there was um, it was uh, Smoky Beckham. Smoky Beckham. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Oh my lord. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, I just think right, people get paid thousands to sit in these marketing departments. Yeah. <laughs> Howard, you've done it again. They break out the 10 bags of weed and they come up with that. <laughs> yeah. That's what they do. Smokey Beckham. Brilliant. I think we should name him Smokey Beckham. What about David Seaman? Let's not name one after him. <laughs> not sure people are going to buy that. Che- prawn che- cocktail flavor. What is it going to be? Uh, cheesy cheese and semen. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you make that flavour? Why would you invent that? I don't know. You, you dirty-minded crisp ruiner. <laughs> it's just the way my brain works. What colour would that pack be? Um, white. <laughs> so, slightly off yellow. Salt and shake flavour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Ew. laughs> 
Right. And and that was what happened with Gary Lineker. Thank you, Gary, for Lineker for um, that trip down memory lane. What what dip would you have with it? No, let's not go down there. No, I don't know. I don't know enough football players' names to even think of sauce and condiment-based puns. Now it's it's too late to be thinking of that kind of thing. I'm sure there's probably one called Messi or Mayer or something. Yeah, Messi. Yeah, Lionel Messi. So there you go. So he must. um, You're you're the expert at thinking of these things. So that's true. I can't. I can actually hear your cogs turning from where I'm (laughs) sat across the other side of the country. (laughs) They are. They are. But no, I'm not going to go any further. No, please. There we go. That's it. That's our eight games. That's uh, still a lot of games. Two forty games, which we quite liked. So we've got match day two, which we liked. Slow, but methodical. I, mm. nay. Incomprehensible <laughs> gibberish. No, just nay. And the result of a, se- a seven-month-long <laughs> camping trip to Crete. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were on some serious Greek mushrooms. So seven-year-long trip, wasn't it? So, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Bone Cruncher. More BBC, BBC shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, Outrun. Now run. Uh, now run. Now run. Fire Trap. <laughs> surprisingly yeah. enjoyable yeah good one of the best ones of the lot yeah freddy hardest surprisingly hard and stupid yeah strange they named it after what it is hard <laughs> through the um poo the crap door <laughs> remember don't you open that trap door that's the, <laughs> so that was the instruction childish. you stupid idiots <laughs> i know <laughs> poo the trap door <laughs> Poo the crap, dog. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Gary Lineker's gone missing in superstar soccer. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's it. That's our eight games. And obviously the TV and stuff. Um, we are done for the week. It just uh, behooves me to sort of say, yes, things are tight. I know money is, I understand it for everyone. But if anybody does or wants to support the podcast, you can do so by going over to our Patreon. Um, and that's patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. Um, where for a pound, you can throw us a pound and that's cool or you can get the full 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 scoop of everything get early access to the <laughs> I was going to say the full Monty then after that <laughs> you could get conversation the full we had about salty semen I don't think I want to think about that <laughs> the full scoop of everything <laughs> full full uh, sweet and sour the full um, dip <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh that dip's so sweet <laughs> and a um, nice sticky bicky for you <laughs> You can get the episodes early. So we release them on a Friday instead of the Monday. You can get hold of them. You can join our Discord server. You can join all that. You can ask us questions or ask the podcast and all of the stuff, whatever we can think of. Um, yeah, you get the, loads of stuff. Loads of stuff. So if you want to be part of that, then head over to, as I said, patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past or rate us on iTunes and things like that. Give us a rating. Do that. Um, do, do just that. like to say um, a massive shout out and thanks. It was it would be a couple of weeks back by the time you hear this, but uh, we were featured in the September issue of Retro Gamer. Woo, we certainly were. Wow. So Double if you want page. to see what our mugs actually look like, um, God help you. Uh, then go go get it. It's, it should still be available by the time you read this. Or read this, hear this, sorry. So if you want to see us in there, that's cool. You know, we're in there. So go go support that magazine because it's ace. Um, obviously, I mean, you probably already know about retro gaming. You probably already get it, but there it is. We're in it. So that's always cool. And I'd just it like is. to say... Um, a massive thank you to them for including us. It was just eight. Yeah, what, absolutely, what a, yeah. What a unexpected honour that was. Yeah, yeah. you um, guys. Honestly, you're so I cool. I know it's ace. I think that's it. We got anything else you want to add? No, 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 no. Just remember that um, we play these games, so you don't have to. But I'm starting to think that some people should actually play some of these games, even <laughs> though we say you don't have to, just so you can experience the pain of things like I. <laughs> Nay. Maybe someone could figure it out. <laughs> nay. I just said it's nay. <laughs> I. The eyes have it. No, nay. Nay. The nays nay. have it. Nay. 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 
Now run through the crap door. Nay. Yeah. What we got coming up next time then? Oh, next time, next week. Yeah, let's have a look. Uh, we finish off. Do we finish off? Yes, we finish yeah, off the last February. It's the last one. So obviously we've got films and stuff. But games wise, we've got 720, 720 degrees. Ooh, oh, um, crap. Uh, that skateboarding ni- one. Uh, it is. Aye. We've got, we've got Ninja Hamster. Oh, God. Uh, I Alien. Oh, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> Jinx. Oh, I remember the music for Jinx being good. Deflector, which I think is supposed now to be quite a decent puzzle Deflector's game. pretty good, actually. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, ATV Simulator. That doesn't sound so great. Grand Prix Simulator. Also, doesn't sound great. <laughs> Ramparts. Oh, that's a weird little game, that. Mm, and finally, Galactic Games. Oh, don't tell me that's a multi-sport game setting Bound space. to be. Bound to be. Aye. Stupid. <laughs> with with controls you won't be able to understand. Move it up, down, thrice, nay, and then <laughs> hop. Stupid games. We will find out next week. I'm not looking at it. It's the last game of the month. And then it obviously is. we've got the charts and stuff. And I don't know. I think we might have some crap verts, I think. Maybe. Maybe, um, maybe there is Maybe uh, there is a couple. I'm not sure. <laughs> there, there, there is. Yeah, well, I think there is. There is some, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Goodness me. Yeah. There really is. There really is. <laughs> 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 I'm not even gonna, I shouldn't have looked because I don't normally, but I just wanted to see if there was one, and I saw that. The, fir- like, what, the yes, first one? Yes, yeah, so there is. <laughs> bloody well, there's a there's crap, three. That's a crap and a half. <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking at the other ones. I'm not looking at the other ones. Why are those games advertising that so expensive? We'll save that. Save it. Yeah. Well, we've actually entered the advent of cheap, of uh, early Amiga advertising. Oh, that's what, the, brilliant. that's what these are. Yes. So they're not going to be good, and that's good for us. They're not, no. But we've also got the charts. So we'll see if the February chart is as drunk as the uh, January chart. <laughs> are they sobered up with the, looking at some of the games that have come out in February? Like, oh, God, are they going to chart any of those? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Bad cat? Ha- is that really going to enter the chart? They haven't, because I'm just looking at the chart now and they've all, there's errors already. Yay. There we go. That's what we've got coming up next week. So join in for that. Finish off February and that'll be fun. So as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham. Gary Lineker sponsors me Raddings. <laughs> uh, and I have been Poo the Crapdoor. <laughs> we have been, sorry, we have been Poo the Crapdoor and we will join you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptoother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.